Next Chapter Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in zero sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My college girlfriend asked me, she was like, she was like, uh, what if we dye your hair one time? Would that be funny? And I was like, uh, I mean, I'll try it. And I did it, and she hated it. What color did you go to? It was as auburn, brown, as brown as I could get it. It can't go, it can't go anywhere else, dude. You ever try to paint over an orange wall? It's fucking orange is gonna come through. I promise. It's like this is a triple coat. There's no way it'll come through, dude. Fuck it, came right back through. Right back, it was glaring. Everyone else gets to experiment with their hair. Redheaded people can't do that. We, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, we like, can't. You really can't. We can't dye it other colors. If I, you know, like someone wants to put like a blue streak in their hair, or something like a girl does that. If a, yeah. a redheaded girl did that, you look like a fucking freak, You're like a clown. The king of fleas. Ooh la la la. He's the motherfucking head of the fleas army. Fuji La by the Fugees from the 1996 sophomore album The Score. It's also number 469 out of 500 on The 500 with Josh Adam Myers, aka, like I said in the song, the king of fleece. What's up, fleesters? Are you draped in Nautica fleece? We were all supposed to do it today. Even though I didn't tell you last week, I was hoping you guys could read my mind. Thank you for tuning into the only podcast that is going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the top 500 albums. I hope you guys paid for your Spotify's because we got a long time until the final show. Set your calendar date for May 31st, 2028. Thank you to everybody that did that last week. If you took the photo of you setting the iCal up for May 31st, 2028 for the final 500 podcast block party, that was awesome. Thank you. I love you guys. I mean it. The people that are into this show, you guys are fucking into it. So keep doing the Instagram stories. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and put a hashtag the 500 podcast guys give me a 24 hour ad on your social media because it means the world to me I'm touching my heart I'm sending love through the microphone because I love you guys help me get the word out help me get the word out 24 hour ad Instagram story screenshot way you're listening booyah booyah time to do you 
Today in music for June 5th, in 1956, Kenneth Bruce Gorelick, the American saxophonist who is the biggest selling instrumental musician of the modern era with global sales totaling more than 75 million records, is born. You know who this dude is. You might not know him by Kenneth Bruce Gorelick. You know him as the motherfucking king of the alto sax, Mr. Kenny G, a.k.a. Root Canal Music. That dude created a whole genre of music. Music to be played at doctor's offices. And that dude's he's probably worth, how much is he worth? Let's find out. How much is Kenny G worth? Says he's worth about $50 million. Wow. I used to play this music when I used to DJ weddings. He was like the perfect music to put on during like hors d'oeuvres. And then after you do, you know, you introduce the wedding party and they're releasing table one by one to go to the buffet. Kenny G was the king. So happy birthday, Kenny. You're a great man, I bet. What if he's like a Holocaust denier and you're like, Jesus Christ, Kenny. Can't you just be a cool guy and just, you know, just keep making your your pussy sax music? All right, guys, a little bit about the artist. We have a banger of an album, an album that meant a lot to a lot of people that I grew up with. I loved this album. I was more of a straight Wyclef fan, but here, a little breakdown about the Fugees. The Fugees were Wyclef Jean, Praz Michael, and their school friend Lauren Hill. Their name was derived from the word refugee, which was a nod to Wyclef's birthplace of Haiti, as well as Praz's Haitian parents. This is the second album by them. I don't know if you guys know that, but they had an album before this called like Nappy Nappy Heads. So this is the second and final studio album from the South Orange, New Jersey hip hop group. In 1995, they got together to make their second album, and what came out was a mix of what many of hip-hop's specific genres had been up to until that point. There were socially conscious songs, gangster rap, party songs, and world music on the same album. Sometimes they were all on the same song. According to Lauryn Hill, it was an audio film like the radio plays of the 1940s, as well as a concept album, much like The Who did with Tommy. Of the first four singles released, two of them were covers, and the other two borrowed their hooks from popular songs of the past. The album was widely successful, going all the way to number one on Billboard 200 and hip-hop charts, and went platinum six times. I love this record. And I love my guest for this week. My guest this week is my very, very close friend, Andrew Santino. You guys know him from the Showtime comedy series, I'm Dying Up Here. Also, you know him from his Showtime special, Home Field Advantage. A lot of you probably know him now from his podcast because it's blowing up. Whiskey Ginger, one of the most popular podcasts out there. Andrew and I have been friends probably since I started stand-up. We both did New Faces at JFL together, and uh, he's just... I love this guy so much because he's just the dude, man. He's just that likable guy that just has so much funny shit to say, and uh, 
And I'm so glad that I was like, dude, are you a Fuji's fan? He was like, dude, I fucking love this record. So it worked out perfectly. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by the Fugees. Also, guys, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple, please rate, review, and subscribe to The 500. Follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. Big ups to my boy Eric at Meth Syndicate for helping me break 10,000. He's got a bunch of followers. Go to, at, go to Eric at Meth Syndicate on all social and fucking tell him he's this shit because I love that dude to death. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, you know what time it is. Here we go with number 469 out of 500 with the score by the Fugees. Like that. I was sitting in it for a second. So off mic, you said to me that you could re- rehearse every, you know, every line from this album. I know, I know. Not only do I know every song from this fucking album, I also know, I, I know probably all the interludes. I know like all the interstitial interludes because back in the day, people were still doing interludes. People don't do that anymore. They I really mean, sometimes don't. sometimes they do on hip hop albums, but it's really rare. But these were always fun or funny or they were sketches. They were almost like a sketch. Oh know? yeah, it's there's 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 full on writers for this shit. Yeah. All right, so what? So, so, so do this. Take me back. Yeah. When did you become a fan of this record? Um, I mean, I remember, I remember getting the tape for this, the cassette tape. Yeah. Right. This was probably one of the one of my ten rotated top ten tapes that I had had. That's a hard thing to say, dude. <laughs> rotated top. One 10 of my tape. top ten rotated tapes at the time. I'm Casey Kasem now. Casey, <laughs> one of my top ten rotated tapes at the time. But anyway, this was one of my one of my favorite. Was also, Westside Connection, Bow Down was around that same time. Do you know that album? I know it, but I never listened to it. <sighs> Man, I loved Westside Connection. Um, what, was, what was the big hit off that? No, Bow Down was it. That was that was the record. Bow down, motherfucker, bow down. Oh, bro, that, that song was so good. No, it's it? Bow down when you come to your town. Bow down where we west, we're bound. Bow down because we ain't a hater like. And I can't say the other part. Oh, yeah, okay. Bow down to some brothers that's greater than you. But I would say it to myself as I walked home. Oh, of course. But this, this, uh, that album. I mean, there was Wu Tang. I think Thirty Six Chambers was another one of my favorite tapes. I, I, this was a time in my life when I only had hip hop on my mind. I was, this was this, that was it. You didn't listen yeah, to rock. No, listen, I was. How, a, how old are you? I was a hip hop junkie. This was probably. What this album came out in? Uh, the album came na- out six, right? Yeah. yeah. So in 96, I was 14, 13, 14. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, I was 13, 14 years old. I was just like a junior high kid. And that was this, that, this was, hip hop engulfed my life. Every dime I had, I spent on hip hop. Literally, every dime would go to 
buying records. I exhausted all my money at every record store I could to try to get new albums. Or that was around the time when people started to illegally download. But even still, it was so were, hard. They weren't downloading at 14. Yeah, when I was like 15, that's when all that stuff started to kick in. That's How old are you? Uh, I'm 35. 35. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because I was about. Four, yeah. You're right. Because I was about 18, 19 when. Yeah. Right around happening. 97, 98 was when Kazaa, LimeWire, all that shit oh, kind of kicked great. into full play. Yeah. Share Bear. Right. It would take two hours to download a three minute song. Fuck it. And then you got it, and it was just you'd have to listen to it specifically in your parents' office because right. that was the only place the computer was. But <laughs> fuck, man. It's so true. Yeah. That was hip hop. Hip hop was the only thing I cared about. I could tell you a million. I had so many. I spent all my money going to hip hop shows and uh, trying to get into hip hop. You know, like. Battles and go what? watch people freestyle. And Wait, you were, you were battling? I did a few times. I did a few times. You want to know the truth? Yeah. Tell me all about it. I won a freestyle competition on the... No, you did I did, dude. What was your, what was your name? What they call you? Yo, Red Quickness. It was called... Uh, it was the called, Red. It was called The Red Hole. Yeah, it was called The Red Hole, and I would flash my butthole after I, after I dropped the beat. <laughs> no, uh, my name was so cheesy. My name was... It was Call. It was K-A-W-L. And it was kill them all with laughter. It was the most cheesy shit. Because every time I freestyled, I try to make fun of someone. That's where comedy came from. That, like my com- my comedic love was embedded in music early on. So that's just that's my transfer in life. But yeah, I won a freestyle competition at Doctor Wax. I don't even think Doctor Wax is around in Chicago anymore. But shout out to Doctor Wax. I won a freestyle competition. Hundred dollars, Bo. Hundred dollars, baby. I won. I won. Took first place against like I don't know twelve dudes, something like that. Nobody else showed up. It was just me. <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't have to yeah. battle anybody. But. Yeah. I talked. I, ju- I was just talking to the records. I didn't, if you I, was here, <laughs> you would be queer. <laughs> but I was, uh, that was, hip hop was my whole life. This, al- this album, amongst a few others, were super influential into like learning about, I think, the depths of how talented certain people are. Why you do know? you why do you think you you connected so much with hip hop? You're growing up, you're 14 years old, but you're growing up in Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Why do I think I can I think I connected with hip hop because um I'd say maybe one of my best influences was my my youngest uncle who was like my brother. We're only 9 years apart, so he was like my older brother, but I don't have an older brother. So he was like that, but he was he loved hip hop. And the flower power era of hip hop kind of was birthed into me from him and the culture around me, and everybody I knew loved it. So you, you know? mean flower power? What do you mean? You're talking like Tribe, uh, Tribe Called Quest, Quest, De La Soul, yeah. the, the flower the, power the, era of hip hop. That's, yeah. that's what it's called. I never knew it was called the flower I mean, that's power. kind of, I, I would imagine there's a bunch of hip hop heads that'll, that'll shit on me for it, but un, uh, affectionately, I think that was shared to, the, to the, the cultural world of hip hop that it was kind of black empowerment. It was very pro black, but it was very like all love. Yeah. It was very wide open. It, it was, it was pre gangster era, so there was this shift in hip hop from. What you came from in the 80s, which was still kind of on some like, and this is the beat, this is it. It was so like kind of cheesy still. Yeah. And then Flower Power shit came along, this kind of hippie era of hip hop where it was like all love and it was all about like more of a groove. And I think hip hop turned turned into something that was a little bit more, um, returned to more like jazz fueled and soulful and sweet and kind of harmonious very easy for white people to get into yes that's yes. really what it is people who it's, love people who love rhythm, <laughs> yeah, we like rhythm. We, i don't know i couldn't really pinpoint why i liked hip-hop so much maybe it was also because it was just um i just i don't know i think because i like when i was younger i remember in elementary school like loving rock but that's because your parents hear you know you like hear what your parents are but then i think you hear you hear other shit and i just got stuck on hip-hop because it was so raw and dirty and real and its own shit and it didn't give a fuck and I mean I think it's why everybody in our generation loved 
that 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 era, in my opinion, is the best era of hip hop of all time. I think from the end of the '80s until the early 2000s, I think that that 20 year span was the greatest era of hip hop. I don't think we'll ever have anything like you that. You know ever what killed again. it? Chameleon They see me rolling. <laughs> they hate it. It was all that shit. You try uh, to give me riding dirty. Gonna get that riding dirty. It's funny because like Chicago, Chicago has phenomenal fucking hip hop artists that have come out of Chicago. The Midwest has incredible hip hop, like incredible. But the Midwest has a lot of a lot of indies, a lot of backpack. This backpack circuit, the indie world of hip hop. Is is its core? I would argue. Many people might argue back, but it's in the Midwest. Like Minnesota produced a fuckload of great rappers. Rhyme Sayers Entertainment is guys like Atmosphere, Idea and Abilities, Idea Rest in Peace. You know, um, Aesop Rock. I mean, there's so many guys that came from the Midwest that were fucking phenomenal underground hip hop. That's when underground was like thriving. And then when that kind of those kind of root things started to get overshadowed because they weren't commercial enough. You had a lot of southern chopped and screwed shit, and then I think that led to guys like Master P, no limiting up, and getting a crew who were just about fucking balling, and that's kind of what we have today. I, I like uh, people used to brag about this is what's funny. People used to brag about things that you that like a, a man who was doing well could also afford, right? Like you'd be like stun up. Stunny got that caddy with the bubble line Lexus. It's like the bubble Lexus is like a $45,000 car, <laughs> yeah, right? You know yeah. what I mean? But like nowadays... People can connect with that. It's right, like, but nowadays it's like Bugatti shit. Yeah, Bugatti. Like, like, so, so no way. It's I like, guess back in the day, people would brag about like 7 Series Beamers were fucking clean. That was the dopest shit. But 7 Series Beamers, it's not a Ferrari. It's a nice car. It's an affordable... It's an affordable luxury <laughs> yeah, vehicle yeah. for people that are making that kind of cream. Yeah. But nowadays, it's like if you're not talking about the La Ferrari, uh, Ferrari you're like you're garbage. Yeah. If you're not talking about a, a million dollar car, so that's why I think like hip hop used to used to boast at a kind of um, uh, oddly a more humble level. For some reason, it was more like we're rich, but we're like local rich. You know? Well, let's do this because we can so we can get into it. So uh, our album is number four sixty nine out of five hundred. It's the second studio album, The Score by the Fugees. Like I said, released on February 13th, 1996, produced by Praz, yep. Wyclef, Lauren Hill, Jerry Tabas Duplice, I can't read that, John Forte, Sean King, Warren Riker, and Salam Remy. Yeah, so, Salam Remy did, made a lot of albums. Salam Remy made a, a lot of, like, you can find Salam Remy's name on a fucking million albums of producing. But this album... Yeah. Little did you know, this is Praz. This is Praz's yeah. vision. Where Wyclef, everybody thought Wyclef was the boss. Praz was the guy that saw the bigger picture sure. of the group and knew, and he was the one that picked certain songs that we're going to talk about later that that blew this up to be right. as big as it was. Well, it's just like the, the George Harrison theory, man. I don't know. Like, so one, they, they had a front man, right? Wyclef was a front man. He was a natural. He had this energy about him. I'm not saying Praz wasn't, but he wasn't. He wasn't a leading. He wasn't this kind of front man. And Wyclef had this uh, this kind of swagger, th- this thing about him. One of my favorite fucking lines Wyclef ever said is, um, "I don't think I don't. It's not on this album, but uh, oh yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, when he says, I looked at her and smiled. He's talking about his teacher. Would say he's never a mountain on. She said, I looked at her and smiled with thirty two gold teeth. And I said, What you make in a year, I make it in a week. And I remember laughing about that as a kid and being like, That's crazy. They doesn't make. 
32 grand in a week and then you're like yeah it fucking does and then you get old and you realize how much money entertainment makes you're like oh yeah he made way more than that yeah but i thought that phrase was hyperbole hyperbole i was like no you can't make what a fucking somebody makes in a year you can't make that in a week and it was yeah it was it was real so so take me back tell me about like why you connected with this record like what were your favorite things because what's cool about this and this is this is what i was doing the research is the reason this was a gigantic like hit in hip hop was that when it was released, hip hop was going through this huge identity crisis with Jay Z, yeah. Nas, each dropping two albums in tandem that year. You had Jay's Reasonable Doubt and Nas's It, which came out in July, and then you had Tribe Call Quest dropping Beats, Rhymes, and Life during the summer. And then, and then this is what's crazy. You forget about this. Yep. Not two months later, Tupac's killed. Six months later, Biggie's killed. <sighs> So, so for rap, it was just, they were, there was just, it was, nobody knew what was going on. And, and then you have the Fugees kind of coming out and, and releasing this record because nobody really remembers the one before this nappy heads. I think that was called. Yeah. Well, I mean this, well, this was the, this was an award-winning album. So I think that this was just kind of. Your, their sophomore record, sophomore records do pretty well for some people. Sometimes usually, it's you, a bomb. Yeah, if the, if their freshman records a hit, that's usually how it goes. But yeah, the, but that, your first, first record, nobody knew about the first. Right, one. If your first record doesn't go anywhere, usually the the second one's going to be the killer. Yeah, that, the, I feel like that happens a lot with a lot of bands that I like. The, the, go ahead, no, go, no. The first, the first, I can name a bunch of bands that the first record they put out, I was like, yeah, it's okay, it was good. But the second record is really where they find their groove more Radiohead. than anything. Usually, yeah, usually if they're just too, maybe they're just too young as a band. And they just are kind of trying to find each other a little bit. But this had this you could tell they're so confident in their shit. Here's this this is something that I'll say. Multiple tracks on this album have references to songs on the album. So they'll use like Lauren will use snippets of a word she said in another song or a phrase, and they put it in a, in a later song in the album, which is so confident. It's like you could criticize that and being like, "What are you running out of shit to fucking say? You did why'd you just say what you said three songs ago?" Yeah, but it's just. That was just their their vibe. They were that good. And I still was like, you know, I play my enemies like a game of chess. That was in the background of another track. Yeah. But I thought that was brilliant because I was like, wow, that's how dope they are that they'll go, yeah, we'll use our shit again because it's that good. Well, in fact, fucking have this album at the very end. This is all like, they do Fuji La like three fucking times. Yeah. And then there's. (laughs) They do remixes on their own album. They're okay. They're okay. Well, no, I I think the album is an outro. Yeah, at, yeah at, when it's it called does. outro, then I, I I turn off. I'm done but but that. but to see that that they do that, that's just me saying that they were enjoying it, right? They weren't <laughs> conscious about what audiences were gonna, where people were gonna criticize that. They didn't give a fuck. They were like, we enjoy it. We're gonna keep making it. Obviously, they liked the other tracks, and they were like, we have to put lyrics to this, but we don't know what to do. Maybe we'll just use this again because we like that song so much. I'm curious to know. I wish I could interview them and want to know why they did so many remixes of one hit song on there. And that came out on the fucking album. They thought Fuji La was going to be their biggest hit. I mean... That's what they thought. They yeah. read all the record execs, everybody thought that was going to be the biggest hit. They spent uh, the majority of their video money on Fuji La. Ugh. And it, it was a great song, but but Ready... ready uh, not Ready, what is it? Ready Kill- or Not... Killing Me Softly. And Killing Me Softly yeah. were massive hits. Yeah. Because, in my opinion, what I think made the group special is Lauren Hill. Yeah. Lauren Hill, in my opinion, is the greatest female MC. Or let me say this. One of the greatest female performers yeah. to ever live. Yeah. Because not only could she sing her ass off, and I mean, like I keep saying Miseducation to Lauren Hill, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. When I hear that record, I think of the summer in 97, backpacking through Europe. I still listen to it to this day. 
but she also could rhyme. And oh, yeah. what she was saying wasn't she wasn't sexualized like every other female rapper at the time, like the Little Kims or, you know, I can't think of any others, of course, right now. But who name some other female MCs? Well, Eve, you know, Eve, Eve. was of that era. But Eve was very like, sexualized. She had the two, the yeah. two paw prints, paw prints on, her on her boobies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She still does. She still got them. She didn't have them removed. No, she still, she, you still see them every time she wears a shirt. I'm always like, man, those are still there. That's regret. She was. Yeah, you're right. No, Lauren Hill was fucking, she was incredible. But I think there's a lot of people that were around. I mean, Queen Latifah, uh, in my opinion, is underrated as fuck. One of the greatest MCs and also like a singer. And now she's multi-talented. She can do fucking whatever she wants. She, she can act. She can, I, th- I think she was one of the, she, I mean, I'm not saying I think. She is one of the great. She is one of the greatest singer rappers of all time in that genre. Lauren was... Lauren was something special because I think she didn't overexpose herself. She didn't put herself out there too much. She was very private. She was like a consummate artist. You could always tell she was very into her shit. She wasn't a sellout, quote unquote, whatever that means. You could just tell that she cared about making great music. Yeah. Also, in her later years of making a few mistakes publicly and kind of doing her own thing, I think that's just a symbol of who she really was. She didn't give a fuck about the Hollywood thing. All she wanted to do was make good music. Yeah. So that's why I think she was so powerful. It's so funny. This is getting off topic, but what you made, the mistakes that she made is what you just said. I remember, because I was so excited to get her her unplugged record. Remember? Oh, yeah. Remember when? Because it was like, she hadn't put out anything. This is like 2001, so it's like four years later, and I remember I went out and bought it, and it's literally, you're listening to a person have a breakdown. Yeah for like two hours yep. and I remember I was working at this crab house in Baltimore and we were in the back doing like prep for something and, I, and they, they wanted to listen to the radio which was you know which is very like I think at the time it was all like toxicity and shit like that and I was like no 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 let me put this on and it's just this like 35 year old black woman crying about her yeah. struggles and I mean it was like they had to like tell me they're like you have to stop bringing that tape because no one wants to hear it. You're killing the mood in the yeah, kitchen. Yeah, it's a bad vibe. Enrique, the fucking fry guy, wants to I don't to want to hear that shit no more, Josh, please. No more of this shit. But that she, that was a tough album. I, I And tough. when I say mistakes, I just mean like her public, you know, whether or not that phrase is true. Whether or not what she said was true. Because there is no true account. There's been a million variations of her saying, I'd rather have my kids starve than have an, a white person buy my album. That was this. That's been tossed around the internet for years. Over, I remember, yeah. Over whether she that that was the exact rhetoric. Like, I wonder what the real conversation was. I think it was taken out of context. In my personal opinion, I don't think Lauren Hill is fucking racist. It's the Beatles. It's the Be- it's when John Lennon said uh, the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. It's, yeah. They, well, they are though. People, they were. In, they were in the scope yeah. of what he was saying yeah. at the time. More people cared, yeah. and more people knew who the Beatles were than cared about Jesus. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, th- was- I think that was a factual statement. I don't think she said those exact words. I think the conversation was something along the lines of, uh, I imagine, this is me, my uneducated nonsense opinion. Hit me. I imagine it was more about her saying, I made this album for black people, for black culture, right? And someone saying, what about white people? And I bet she made a joke being like, Remember that my fucking kid stars as I'm white by my album, right? And I'm sure it was a fucking gig with some people that were joking around, whether she was in the interview. I don't know if it was Rolling Stone. I don't, I don't remember who it really was. There was an, it was an editor from somewhere that has said that they that was the conversation. Whatever the case may be, I guarantee you she wanted white people to buy her fucking album. It was just she was making a, a joke. And truth, truly, if we want to be real, you know, whites that listen to hip-hop were getting a view into their world. So when a black person wants to share that with you, you know, that's like a nice, that's a nice thing. But what she's saying is, 
This is about my culture. It's about yeah. my life. And I think it's she wanted to make the music for black people. And white people that don't like to hear those kind of things are fucking ignorant because, you know, it's like they... You're talking about marginalized people. They want to sometimes make music for their culture, for their people, not just for you because they've been marginalized by your history of your culture. Sorry, I don't. people don't like to fucking hear the truth, but you know, little kids from the fucking suburbs love hip-hop, but they love gangster shit, but they're not gangsters. No. You, you want a window into the world into the world safely. At 1999, you get to view what it's like to be in the ghetto. Yeah. So they're giving you a slice of this kind of tough, fucked-up reality. The only thing we can do is appreciate the art Respect it and just know that if a black artist, especially, you know, especially when she, what she was trying to, you know, uh, how prolific she was, what she was trying to push out was about what it's like to be a black female in her world and her mindset. So, I, I, you know, not to get fucking political, but I prob I get why she said it. I think it was silly. I think she might have been joking. And if she was serious, that's a bummer. <laughs> then I'll take it all back. I, but, I, but anyway, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's, that, I think that's. The end of the the end of that world is I think she will never know what she meant what what she what she really wanted to project but the truth is she like they made some she made in four years she made such good fucking music it's it la, it'll last forever yeah I think that's education will last forever and I think a couple songs off of this record oh yeah like, in in retrospect listening to it to now and I don't want to do the final thoughts yet but I I just I think they're the the songs that are on this record are so good mm-hmm. that it makes up for the other ones, and I think that's why it's on this list. But let's let's dive into the yeah, record. Yeah, let's do it. Okay? Let's do it. All right, so it starts with red intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little fact about this. Raz Baraka, son of poet Amiri Baraka and current mayor of Newark, New Jersey, sets the scene with a pissed-off rant that smack-talks wannabe gangsters and shady record business stooges during which he references the title of nearly every track on the record. So it's just this guy venting, okay? Yeah. He's angry. So how do you manage your anger? Oh, my God. I don't. <laughs> I have a you don't tough seem time. like an angry person. I, I, can't, I can get really upset. I've never seen you pop. I've no, never seen you pop. No, I hold it in. I hold it in when I'm out in public, and then I do. I, I take it out on other things and other people, which I think is not good. Probably people closest to me get get it, feel it the most, which is not okay. But I have to hide it in public, and I try to put it away a little bit because I get upset and angry a lot at things. I mean, honestly, running, running is running helps me more than if I'm feeling really upset. If the day is like fucking me up, if I'm, I'm mad or annoyed, or even if I'm depressed, if I'm either side of the spectrum, I'll just, I have to go running. And I think about nothing. It's great. I think I, my head is like, it's, you know, when people say like they can meditate and their brain goes blank, you know, yeah. uh, it never works for me. I can't sit still in a room. I have, I have terrible anxiety. So when I'm running, that to me is like the same thing. I feel fucking empty. What this blows my mind that you say you have anxiety. And that's, well, I, oh, listen, yeah. I know everybody has anxiety because it's yeah. life and it's the knowledge of our own death and all that stuff. So I get that we're all kind of freaking out, but I always use you as this litmus test for how comfortable you can be. I, right. When we did New Faces together, yeah. and we were around all that industry, and I was freaking out every second, you were just fucking Dean Martin. <laughs> yeah, I was didn't, like, man, nah, 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 I didn't nah, care. Nah, nah. How you doing, Susie? Hey, yeah. man. You Wink. Were, yeah, you are. See, but I think, but I think anxiety for me transfers in different ways. My anxiety is not. I I am typically very comfortable in in my own skin in those kind of social situations. My anxiety stems from uh, my own my own worries and my own cares and my own self uh, belief or lack thereof. My shit, my shit comes from me being like, 
ah, he's fucking that sucks. Don't do that. Or that's shitty. Or, and I'll sit and stew at it at my house. And that's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's all in my own head. But publicly, no, I can't really be shaken. I don't, I don't care in the moment if people like it or don't like it. Cause if I've worked hard on it, I know they're probably going to fucking like it. Cause yeah. I feel like, you know, what's funny or what's good. But the anxiety stems from, I tell a joke about it on stage. I, I tell this joke. I mean, I haven't told it in a while, but I, I told this joke. I say, black, white people are the only people that have anxiety. I have no black friends that have anxiety and I wouldn't be able to explain it to a black friend because they'd be like, what is it? And I'd be like, oh, I have this fear of the unknown. And a black friend would be like, oh, I have a fear of the known. You know, what I know is way worse than what I don't know. And it's so funny. It's like this fear of the unknown overtakes me of like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Or what, what's, how is this going to be received? Or how, and it's overwhelming as fuck. So anxiety in essence, it's like this scare. You're scared of nonsense. You're scared of things that don't really exist yet. So it's all in my head and it's all at home. None of it's really out in public. I, that's when I'm at my best. When I'm around people and I'm in front of an audience, I feel the most comfortable. Oh yeah, I, it, it by shows. myself, it completely fuck. shows. By myself, I get, I get I can't get out of my own head. It sucks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what you were talking about getting angry, then what pisses you off? <laughs> um, I don't like I, too many things. I have zero patience. I wish I was more patient. I don't have patience with people, things, place. Like if I'm going somewhere, I'm, I it pisses me. I, people that aren't punctual drives me fucking nuts. You yeah, know, you were super punctual. But I'm on. Was, I'm overtly on time. I saw it even vacuum. I know. I know. Well, <laughs> it's okay. The dog will clean it the up. The dog will clean it up. No, but I think I, I, being punctual fucking makes me mad when people fuck things off and that are late. When people aren't considerate socially, I have I, I have this big thing about social consideration. People that just are have no social awareness drive me bananas. People that don't understand you're talking too loud on the fucking bus. Not everyone wants to hear your shit. That drives me fucking nuts. People that are rude in public and don't care about other people's time and their experiences, I think we're a selfish culture and it, it really hurts, hurts me. And the inside, it irks me so much. It makes me not want to go around people. That's, it's just a, and as much as we have to be out in public when you're not working, fuck. I don't know how to deal with that though without running or lifting weights. If I can't run or lift weights or like get drunk with friends, I, I would be the angriest guy in the world. Also, the song is called Red, and, and being that you That's are a redhead, mm-hmm. what are the best and worst parts about being a redhead? Uh, the best parts is that I don't look like all you whites. I'm not just another white guy. That's the best part. <laughs> you stick out. You ha- I mean, especially yeah. especially as an actor, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, as a, like- as a comic and an actor, you kind of are in this... Uh, this uh, this weird other class now there's there's a, there's I feel like there's more and more redheaded comedians and actors that I've seen ever in my fucking life I mean I know you and Burr well I mean me Burr Louie um, 
But I mean, there's there's a bunch Kathy of Kathy Griffin, Kathy Griffin. There's a bunch of redheaded people in the entertainment industry that somehow like kind of like sneak up on everybody like oh yeah that's right he has fucking right I think when it comes to stand up it's got to work in your advantage because at any time if you're not doing well you can just mention you can make fun of yourself you know what I mean I don't lean on the red hair thing but I make fun of me it's just easy to make fun of your I think in stand up you should be making fun of yourself a little bit I mean fuck me if you're not that like it's tough like like, uh, when you're someone like Jesselnik like when you only make fun of other things you know that's tough because you can't he kind of hides that side of him. Like he doesn't have this, he doesn't have this thing where he can shit on something he did because that's not in line with his type of comedy. Yeah, you're right. But for me, I fucking that's half of my shit is shitting on my life and the things that I've done or me around too. me. That's that's the only way that I can relate to them. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like that's you know that's the fucking move. But yeah, I guess it's an advantage. Have you ever thought about coloring it? No. Oh well, I didn't think about it. I colored it in college. My college girlfriend asked me. She was like, she was like. uh, what if we dye your hair one time? Would that be funny? And I was like, uh, I mean, I'll try it. And I did it, and she hated it. What color did you go to? It was as auburn brown, as brown as I could get it. It can't go. It can't go anywhere else, dude. You ever try to paint over an orange wall? It's fucking orange is gonna come through. I promise. It's like this is a triple coat. There's no way it'll come through, dude. Fuck it. Came right back through. Right back. It was glaring. So I tried. To, I tried to put. I tried to put brown dye in it one time. I think. I remember my mom was like, "Why would you do that?" I was like, I don't know, just fucking around. Everyone else gets to experiment with their hair. Redheaded people can't do that. We, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, we like, can't. You really can't. We can't dye it other colors. No. If I, you know, like someone wants to put like a blue streak in their hair or something, like a girl does that. If a, yeah. a redheaded girl did that, you look like a fucking freak. You're like a clown. <laughs> it's so weird. We were so. I look like that. I look like the fucking Joker. You look like the Joker. Yeah, I look like the fucking Joker. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to do those things. You just can't. That's the restrictions. Good. You shouldn't do it. No, I won't. I All won't right. ever. There is this social, annoying, fucked up assumption that we're you know like we're this disgusting creature like because you're a redhead you're automatically put in this category of like an ugly guy for some reason my whole life like i was always worried about girls like you know you always think you're always like oh girl's not gonna want a a fucking redheaded guy because there's a social stigma it's like oh but he's a redhead that's like a it's like a thing it's become this disgusting mean rude thing uh socially that we're this you know we're all ugly dudes and I say most are. I joke about that. I think most redheads are. There's ugly. a lot of ugly redheads. But you know what? But, but there's a lot of regular ugly. There's a lot of ugly too. people. Yeah, there's right. a lot of ugly people. But if you're ugly and you have orange hair, that's tough because that you because you stand out. Yeah. That they see you're ugly and they see you have hair. That's orange. I mean, it's just kind of like, and you're more noticeable. A regular ugly guy, right? If you have ugly, if you're a brown haired ugly guy, you can just pass through life fine. Yeah. But if you're an ugly guy who also has red hair, people notice you more. They notice your imperfections more. I don't know. But I don't mind having fucking red hair. I don't give a shit. I used to care when I was a kid because it was like a fighting... Te- it was it was the thing that drove me to fight people. People made fun of me and I, f- I wanted to fight everybody. Did you fight a lot? Yeah, when I was a kid, I fought all the time. This, I get this nickname that I that I talk about on my podcast. The slug- red Sonia. The Slugger Santino. <laughs> people used to call me the Slugger Santino when I was a kid because I was a, I was a punk. I got kicked out of school because of it. I fought and got kicked out of a fucking Catholic school. Yeah, I, was, I just loved fighting people if they made fun of me. Once I learned that I could do it, once I hit one kid and he cried and, and then like he really got he hurt. He left you alone, yeah. Then I learned I would do it all the time. Then it became like kind of a vice for me. It was like, I'm just going to punch people when they make fun of me. Not Definitely not the way to handle things. When you're young. But I had but, kid, but I had kid anger. I had daddy yeah, anger. I had all that shit. When you're young, that's like fights were constant at my middle yeah, school. It was, my it was supposed school, to happen. Med- supposed to happen. We were supposed to fight it out. 
See, I I was uh, I didn't have red hair, of course, but I was just a smaller what? guy. I know it's hard. Why to did believe. you Why did you dye it now? <laughs> well, <'cause laughs> just, you I like mean, it so much? I was. It was funny. I was one of the beautiful gingers, mm-hmm. but I um, I was smaller, so I, I didn't fight as much as I made fun of. Uh, That's what I did. I would attack everybody else, so no one would would make fun of me. All right, how many mics? The next song on the record, where where really the album begins. Yeah. Um, thoughts on this? We got any thoughts? How many mics must we bust on the daily? Mini, mini, say mini, 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 mini. I love this song, dude. It's a Peter, song. Uh, play the chorus. How many mics do we rip on the daily? Say me, say mini, money. Say me, say mini, mini, mini. How many mics do we rip on the daily? Mini, money. Say me, say mini, mini, mini. I get mad, frustrated when I rhyme. Thinking of all them kids that try to do this for all the wrong reasons. Seasons change, mad things rearrange, but it all stays the same like the love doctor. I'm tame like the rapper. Get red like a snapper when they do that. Got your whole block saying true that. If only they knew that. It was you who was irregular. Soldier sold for some secular music actors. Whack, plus you use that. Loop over and over. Claiming that you got a new style. Your attempts are futile. Ooh, child. You're pure. Brain waves are sterile. You can't create. You just wait to take my tape. In my opinion, on this verse, Lauren kills it. Just the whole song is Lauren's. Yes. It's my favorite lines. Laced with mouth. Alice, hands get callous from gripping microphones from here to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Go ask Alice if you don't believe me. I get inversions like Stevie. Uh, this is great. This is a great way to start the record. Uh, it's slow and low too. The beat is like very chill for a boast song. Yeah, for just and this is all they're doing is boasting. But but the the thing that I love about it it's how many mics. Um, how was your first open mic experience? <laughs> Garbage. It was at the comedy store. That was my very first open mic. That was it? Yeah. I went to the, I went to the comedy store, open mic. Um, when I moved to L.A. in 2006, and I would come up here. I would borrow my friend's truck and come up. I was living in Long Beach, and I would travel all the time, and I would get in the potluck. And I think it was my fourth or fifth time of trying that I finally got up. And it was, it was fucking atrocious. And then it was a, that was the first time I did an open mic there, and last. I didn't go back for a while. I just did other mics. I was like, this is terrible. I can't do that. Yeah, you can't eat shit in one of the best rooms in the country. And, well, I mean, we were all young, shitty comics, but I also didn't want to wait for hours and hours and then weeks and weeks and hope you get up next time and hope you get up next time. The next time I returned to the store, I was a friends and family. I didn't. I never went back to the store until I was a friends and family at that level. Then when I came back, other headliners had known me, and then they were like, you got to put them on friends and family, and then Tommy did, and then, you know, the whatever, whatever, but... That was the worst experience I've ever had in my life. I don't remember any of the jokes. No, I do remember one of the jokes. I do remember one of the shitty jokes I told. What was it? I said I, um, oh God, and this, this is, this is, you could tell the era. Paris Hilton was part of the joke. I said, I said, I went, I went to a Hollywood party this past weekend. Um, this massive house, this huge estate. It was amazing. And I got lost, um, inside Paris Hilton's vagina and it fucking bombed so fucking bad. And I was like. Fuck! I thought that was hilarious, and that was like a check down for me to be like, "That's so not funny. It's not good. It was just shitty." But in your why'd it, you put it, him up? He was a redhead. Like, I don't know. Man. He was really Louis. nice. I mean, he was that's... really nice. <laughs> he fucking brought snacks. So when did you? How many mics and and non professional gigs did it take before you thought to yourself, "I'm really a stand up"? God, I don't even fucking know. I, I mean, I, I like I. It was probably probably four years in. That I that I genuinely was like I love this, I'm gonna dedicate my life to it. I'm gonna work as hard as I can because that was it was at the same time. I mean I, I was dedicating 
every hour, every waking hour to stand up. But at about three or four years, I started to realize that I actually had some talent. I was I would get good spots around town. People would people you'd hear you'd hear from people. They go, oh, I heard you did great at this other thing. Yeah. So it's it kind of steamrolled it on itself a little bit. But yeah, around three or four years, I think prior to that, one or two years, anybody that thinks they're good at one or two years yeah. out of your fucking head. You your know, ego tells you you're good because you've had yeah. some good sets and those sit with you. You're like, well, I mean, nobody's killed as hard yeah. as I did. Who's, at I'm the, crushing. At the Oyster Bar. And you really don't kill until you're 10, 10 years. I'm, and then, I'm you know. finally having good sets, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. To be honest with you, I didn't even think I was... I mean, I believe that I was a comic, but now I know that I'm a comic. And that's only happened within the year. Right. Like, well, really, where I'm like, I have... Where, you're, where you think it. Yeah, where yeah. I, I respect my material. Yeah. I respect what I'm doing up there, whereas before I was just, like, going... I wouldn't say I was going through the motions. I thought I was doing it, but I wasn't opening up. I wasn't doing jokes that no one else could do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I no, no, that's, a, that's a hard thing to do, is to, to, to write really personal shit when you're young and you're not that confident. You, it's, that's, that's a tough thing to do. Which easy transition? That's what these young kids did on this album. That they all wrote honest, real ass, fuck you bullshit. Yeah, it was, the whole thing is just them talking shit. That 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 song, that how many mics, was was them fronting on every rapper to start the album. Which was, I mean, it was fresh. That's a bold leap. If it was garbage, that could have ruined the whole album. The first the first track out the gate. If that was garbage and it was like, oh, what the fuck is this? Just but 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 they knew. I think that's why they could have come out. With, I see. In my opinion, if they should have opened with Fuji La, uh, like that would have been like the big kickoff. I think this is a little downplayed for the first song. I think it's good, right? But I don't think it's the one the first song that they they come into. No, I think it's a good. I think you you start low, but because that the next song is uh is ready or not, and that's arguably. My favorite song. It's on a the classic. Album. So, yeah. ready or not, uh, what I love about this, as soon as you hear Lauren Hill's voice, you know this is going to be some good shit. Like yeah. as soon as you just hear that, mm-hmm, Peter, play the opening chorus. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you yeah. want me. Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who yeah. correlate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in the ghetto, of course, when get the up and on their horse. Kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in the state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Everything about this song is dope. All three crush their verses, verses and they both have, they all have these iconic lines. Like, I bet you could say the first line in every one of their I could rap you I could rap you the whole fucking song Wyclef is now that I escape sleepwalker awake those who can't relate know the world ain't cake Lauren comes out with one of my favorites I play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest no stress if you don't smoke cess and then prize I must confess my destiny's ran up me. <laughs> and then Browns comes out with, Ready or not, refugees taking over. Dreadlock Rasta. Favorite part. <laughs> now, the title and chorus are based on the 1968 song, Ready or Not, Here I Come by the Delphonics. Yep. Um, have you ever hidden from or denied love? Mm. 
uh, probably run away from. I pro I did run away when I when I like I think I was in love with the girl that I left in college for sure. I think that was the first girl I like like the, the first love of your life. Where yeah, it's just like this this my like, high school girlfriend, like the girl that I lost my virginity to. I've definitely loved her, but it's you're so young, it's you're different. so disillusioned by stuff. Yeah, you don't know the world. my college, I definitely I ran away. I was like, why like, did you run away? Because I had to move to L.A. I was like, I had to move to L.A. Oh, so so you knew you're in college and you were like, I'm gonna come out, I'm gonna go out to L.A., I'm gonna be a comic, one hundred percent actor. Yeah. So. Well, I didn't. The actor wasn't even on the on the docket. It was just comic. Yeah. The actor thing, you know, I haven't been acting that long. That came way later. I decided that that would be something like really great to do and like fun to do, but no. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I ran away because I wanted to go move to L.A. because I knew I wanted to be a comedian. That was all I ever cared about. I didn't think I was gonna make any money doing it. I wouldn't think I'd make a career. I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to live in California and be a comedian. That's literally the only thing that mattered. So yeah, I ran far away from love. Fast, fast. What did you love. tell her? Did you? Did you? She already. Did she know? No, it was, it was for tough. Months, yeah, no, I sprung it on her. It was bad. It was real bad. We came to California together. And we looked in an apartment off of Sepulveda and Na Palms, right across from the freeway, and we looked at the apartment, and I had all these weird like. Flat flashes in my head over like, oh my god, I don't want to live this life. I don't want to get this girl out here and. You know, like, it could be trapped by this, like, relationship that I have to focus on instead of this being poor and trying to make a career. So You didn't, you didn't think she'd be able to hang? I just was like, there's no way I want to put her through this. Because if I failed, I was like, I don't want to drown someone with me. I was like, I'd rather go drown by myself and figure it out. Yeah. So I, I made the right decision for sure. You know what I mean? Like, she, she went and did her thing, and life went on, and life was happy. But she fucking hated me because of it, resented me. But I packed up a U-Haul on the 4th of July, um, and... Moved here, man. But also, you you're you've been in a long term relationship for a long time, mm -hmm. though, right? Mm -hmm. So, so really, it was just like that. You weren't running from the idea of love. You I was, were you were running because you had to you had to make a choice between your dreams or, like you said, you said it perfectly. Do I do I nurture this career? or Do I nurture this relationship? Totally. Because because both of them need attention. Yeah. Too well. They both need all your attention, all especially at a at a young age when you're a young comic. You you literally have to. You have to fucking be doing comedy every day of your life, all day long. That's all you think about. It's all you care about. It's 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 still a, a large factor of my life now. It's everything, but you have a better balance. When you're young, it's like it, it's it's consuming. Every waking moment is like trying to write jokes and find out how you can get up, and and it's fueled by jealousy too. Of like, whoa, how do I get on that thing? And how do I do that? And why does that guy do that? And how do I get to the next level? And how do I get booked on this thing? That's such fuel for the fire. I know it's weird. It's it's negative at some point, but it's also so good. But I couldn't have focused on that if I had someone else on my mind. Like I was just never going to be able to do that. Yeah. So I was like, I got to run free. You know, like I got to do it. I ran far, far, far away from the idea of like being locked to something. So I was like, I got, I got to go do it. it how yeah. how fast from from that breakup was it until you started another one? Um. A while, a little while, you know. I, I I was living in Long Beach with a bunch of hoodlums. You're like when I got friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> I was I I was running around Long Beach with a bunch of hoodlums when I first moved here. A bunch of troublemakers that I went to, I went to college with, and they were fucking up to no good. That was one of the most fun times of my entire. They were life. West Side Boys. West Side Boys. <laughs> we lived in a place called Belmont Shore. It was shout out. It's like one of the greatest. It's a dream. It's a little dream world. It's a little like trapped bubble. It's like a little baby bubble in Long Beach. But I mean, you know, and, t and then I moved to L.A. and everything changed. And I lived with a bunch of different dudes and. You know, living in a shit. I lived in a shithole. I lived in a shit. Did you live in a shithole when you first moved here? Yeah, dude. Dude, I lived in the shittiest shithole. As in, like, everyone's car got broken into almost nightly. It was just a normal thing. National, off the freeway. 
tough. Yeah, that's it was that gross, area. dude. It was gross. It was tough. It was really tough. Still, also probably one of the most fun times of your life. Though. Oh my god, it was the fucking best. That's when we had the most fun, the best parties. You know what I mean? You had forty bucks. To, you had forty dollars to spend on a weekend of partying and having people over, and you get away with it. Now you know you can't eat appetizers for forty fucking bucks. <laughs> so disgusting, man. It's ridiculous. But yeah, that was the best time. That was the fucking best. All right. The underlying groove is a sample of the 1987 Enya song, Song of Bodachia. 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 The Fugees did this without Enya's permission, and Enya came after them hard, earning substantial royalties from the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, her manager was quoted saying, this kind of blatant infringement won't be tolerated and Enya is upset with the fact that on their song, they're saying defecating on your microphone. Uh, uh, she, she, did, she didn't like poop jokes. She didn't like poop jokes. She did allow the godly Mario Winans to use a song on his 2004 track, I Don't Want to Know. Uh, so we're talking about stealing. Have you ever been accused of taking someone's joke or has someone taken yours? Oh, I think over the years I've always, we've I've had a few instances where concepts have overlapped where I go, oh my God. I've, but it's never it's never been like as blatant and harsh and fucked up as like no one's stolen a joke from me and been me been like, that's my joke. Or I've never, never stolen anybody's shit. But I think convergence of ideas is similar lines of thinking, parallel thinking that happens all the fucking time. I mean, I think that's something that's just natural in comedy. But... No, I've never had the. I would never fucking steal someone's joke. I don't think you would. But no, if but if but, but yours? no one's stolen my. No one's stolen a joke of mine. But I have had similar concepts done. You know, uh, yeah, I've had I've had someone like come close to something that I did, but like it was never bad. I had a guy say to me, I had a guy say to me not too long ago. He said, "Hey, you know, I do a joke pretty similar to that." I said, "Oh yeah, I, yeah." I never met this guy. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him perform in my life. And uh, he was like, yeah. And I said, well, you know, it's kind of a throwaway joke for me. I just, you know, it's something I was just tooling around with. And he's like, well, I do it. I said, well, yeah, that's fine. I don't fucking, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'll toss it in the trash. I mean, no offense, but if it's that quick and easy for you to find someone that did the joke, maybe you shouldn't do it anymore either. Yeah. And I don't know if he took it on the chin or if he was fucking annoyed by it, but, you know, I was just being honest. It was a I'm, shitty throwaway joke. Here, I'll, I'll tell you how he reacted. How many whiskeys were, were inside of you at that 14. time? 14. No, no. Yeah, he, and he was probably, because no. yeah, by that point, that's where you just lean in and you're I like, go listen, you're bro. Just like, listen, man. No, but I have had, I've had, I've had, in fact, you know what I've seen more than ever? I've seen, I've been witness to someone else doing another concept that I know that someone else does. And I've had to go up to them and I go, hey, man, just letting you know that someone so does something like that. that I feel I do that often now because I don't watch everyone's shit, but if I know you do that joke or something like that, I'm pretty quick if I see someone to, that does it to go up to them and not trying to start beef just to go, just want to let you know. Yeah, heads up. There might be, someone might do a joke kind of just like that. And whether they resolve it or not is their issue. As long as I let them know. So in the future, when they do get approached by it, you know, somebody was just telling me that like Dalia, I think was telling me that somebody had come up to him and said something, something about a joke that he did and, and, or whatever. And, you know, and it's like, well, what's your joke? And it, it's not the same thing. It's just like a little, a little baby piece. I think, of it. I think but also, I think as people, uh, you know, because you're getting to a certain level of stature as a comic now, you know, and I think there's those people that are a little bit lower that have been doing it maybe just as long, and they see you doing that bit, and they have something that's somewhat similar, and right. they immediately go, "Oh, well, he's stealing that because." That's why he's more successful than me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's why I li- a lot of my material I like to be, you can tell it's my point of view. I mean, a oh, lot of times you're sure. like, oh, that's, that's definitely what he would say or the, his, his brand. Although, you know what I do now, though? Like, if I think of a good piece of a joke, that's not going to work for me, but I know someone else that does something that it could be used for. I called Brennan this week and I called Neil and I was like, dude, because Neil does this phenomenal joke about, you know, 
nobody i don't want to tell his jokes but anyway he does this great joke and then uh i i called him and i go dude this is peace that i thought about over the weekend because i heard some asshole in vegas go every stripper is, is fucking dog shit and i was listening to this other guy talk to his buddy he goes they all have daddy issues and i was like what's wrong with fucking Cause a lot of people have daddy issues and guess what it creates a lot of great shit rappers strippers comics yeah my buddy starts laughing, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta give that to someone because Neil has a thing that, whatever." It's but very similar. Yeah. I've done that. I've done that before. I've called someone and go, "Yo, I thought of another kind of piece or tag." It's just tags. That's yeah, just, and they can yeah, have it, and, and if they want, it. or if they don't want it, they can go fuck you. I'm not gonna. But that I've done more than ever. But no, I haven't had any. I haven't any bad. I've seen more people do other people's shit than ever, though. Really? I think that's happened. I think I've been witness to that more. For some reason, I see people do other people's shit. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I guess I got to fucking say something. I think that's the key to, to stand-up is literally just you have to make it so no one else can do anything yeah, like Yeah, somebody it could, could tell your joke it's not that good of a joke. Completely. Yeah. All right, so this was their least successful single in America, but in Europe, this song went to number one. Yeah. The group was already falling apart when they were working on this song with palpable tension between Lauryn Hill and Wyclef Jean because they, I don't know if you know this, we're in a secret romantic relationship. You know mm-hmm. this? Yeah, yeah. You knew this, all right. Yeah. Described as a tumultuous relation, romantic relationship between a very young Hill and Clef, who was married and six years her senior. Praz recounted one harrowing tale of Wyclef breaking up with Lauren moments before she went into the booth to record this song. God damn. Hill crying her eyes out as long as she, as, as she sang the hook. They also knew it was da- it was a dangerous relationship that wasn't going to work out well in the end. So they knew right from the beginning that this was bad. What is the worst breakup you've ever had? Oh shit! Um, God, that's tough. That's pr- it's probably uh, it's funny. It's probably when I was a youth because when you're a youth, you're kind of. It's probably when I was very young. It was probably something stupid. They it was hurt when you're young. Dude. Yeah, you. Th- it's, it, 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 Dude, I have cigarette burns on my arms from putting yeah. out cigarettes because I was in so much pain right. because a girl I hooked up with once. Yeah. One, did, one time that you like fell me. in love with. I like, fell like, in love. Right. And then you get older, you get a little bit fucking jaded and you fall in out of relationships and you're kind of like, whatever, fucking life goes on. Like you got to get over you. I mean, it just, I think there's something when you're young, actually, I, how about this? I got rejected and that hurt the worst. The wor- worst than a breakup was I, f- I wanted to disappear. I asked a girl to go to, what is it? Spring? One spring of the break? no spring dances, like not 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 prom, prom but not prom. Well, there, I only, we only had homecoming and prom. Maybe homecoming. Maybe that's that's that? fall. Fall. I don't fucking know. Whatever it was, I asked this girl who I definitely had a crush on. Like I thought she was just wonderful, and we were all friends, and everything was great. And I thought this is going to be the moment where I'm like, I want to take you to the dance, and also like, you know, I want to be your boyfriend type of shit. You know? Yeah. Oh, dude, dummy. Asked her, no. I mean, a solid no. No. Like, uh, quick. No. <laughs> she was like, uh-uh. Yeah, before I got it, I'm like, hey, I was wondering, no. <laughs> and it, and oddly enough, that hurt more than a lot of other things. I, I, it hurt me so much because it, uh, it was such a... I also, I thought, going to a dance with someone is not that big of a fucking deal. You could have gone to dance with me as not my girlfriend, but she was fishing for cooler people to come along. It was kind of so you weren't very cool in high school? No, it wasn't that. It was just like I wasn't... I her, see you being very popular. I was... Uh, I mean, like I was, I was beloved by a lot of people, but I didn't. I, but my core group of friends was very small. It was almost like people were like, "I really love that guy's funny." But I bounced around from group to group because I didn't really like. I didn't have like a 
you know, a core 15, we all hang out and I go back. You know, it's like, that doesn't I happen. I did. They, we yeah, were, you're, we were called, you're that guy. We were called OD. OD. That's, I didn't call it that. They called it that. Yeah, but I didn't have that shit. I had a couple of very, very close friends. Surprising that I was friends with them, too, because they loved 311, and I just don't. You, ever, so, you never liked 311? Oh, but, well, because they ruined it. Yeah. They ruined 311. They yeah. played it all the time. Nick, so. Nick Hexum, very handsome. Very handsome. You know what's funny? I met... 311, Nick Hexum. Yeah. Uh, when I went to go see Prophets of Rage at the Forum in like the really ritzy like VIP area. Nice. And I went up to him and was like, hey man, I was like, do you mind if I get a picture with you? And he goes, anything for a fan. I go, nah, it's not for me, man. I just want to show my friends because they loved you. I didn't really dig your music, but they loved it. You asshole. <laughs> he should have been like, get the fuck out of here, man. I'm not taking nah, a photo he, with you. He knew. <laughs> yeah. He knew what was up. You show him your three. You secretly have a three eleven tattoo. Nobody knows that, but Josh has one right on his back. It's eight sixteen a.m. Will you wake up to me? Isn't that juicy? I hate white reggae. I don't feel like white reggae is, yeah. a, is a genre of music. Three eleven was. I was okay with them. They weren't my shit, but I was always like, okay, I can fuck with a little bit of hip hop like in the there. Omaha Styley. No, you know what it really was. I liked uh, what's his name, uh, uh, the, the the fucking Latino kid that rapped. What was his the name? The worst MC in the world, yeah, S.A. Martinez. S.A. Martinez, yeah. You better yeah. come original or you will get shot. <laughs> Who are you shooting? S.A. <laughs> Martinez, no No, he needs one. a photo shoot, dude. He was a photographer. He's a world-winning photographer. <laughs> He's Andy No, I, he was the only part of the group that I thought was interesting. That I was like, oh, look at this little fucking dude rhyming over this rock, weird rock riff. But it wasn't my favorite band. But I did, they were, they were, they were whatever. I didn't hate them as much as I hated other bands. I, I always, I hated Sublime. I hate Sublime. I always have hated Sublime. Thank you. Hate Sublime. You, I can't tell you. So out of the 15 guys that I went to high school with that loved 311, seven of them got married, and six of those seven played Love Song Ugh. by 311 as their first dance. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, dude. <laughs> God, it's so annoying. Play The Cure. Yeah. If you're going to play it, play the fucking Cure. Or play some classic bullshit. Like, just play some shit for your grandma. Just I don't know. Kind of sun, girl. Oh. My baby. Yeah, play some bullshit. But I, but I don't. I, you know, I that that also the jam band era went way over my head. I, I didn't, I didn't get into any of that string cheese. I saw Bella Fleck one time. Like I, my buddy was into that. Might shit. as well be speaking Swahili right now. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do that shit. The jam band stuff. Fish. You know, people fucking hate me for saying that, but I, I've always hated fish. I don't want to hear a song for 35 minutes. I just, I, I don't. I, I was the same way. I, I think they're great musicians. Yeah, I was the same way, and then I went to one of their concerts, and I fell in love with the atmosphere. It was just a, it was just a hippie rave. Yeah, the vibe is probably amazing. Drugs and sex. Yeah, and, you know, fucking. fucking fun. But then, then that's to my point. Then is it really about the fucking music, or is it just about people who get high and want to fucking party and have this free-loving atmosphere? Either it's, way, it's, it's beneficial. It's always happening. Well, it's great that that happens, but, you know, the dead is the same thing. People fucking, people will murder you if you say you don't like the dead. They're like, they lose it. But I'm like... I know four songs from them. Like, it can't be that great of a band if I've only known four. Name, I know one. That's what I'm saying. It's like, if you're a great band, you could... Zeppelin. I bet you can name me more than four fucking songs. Yeah, I can. So you know what I mean? It's kind of like, if you're that prolific of a band, can I name a lot of your songs? But the Dead fans are like, you fucking, you just don't fucking know, man. <laughs> like, All right, I guess, dude. I figure, like, the, someone who hates... The, that, uh, who said that? Um... I think Rock said it. Chris Rock said it. I've said this quote a million times, but, I, but it's so solidified in my brain. It's, a, it's so true. You're not famous in comedy until people who hate comedy know who you are, right? And I believe that. Like, there's guys who are... Kevin Hart is f- so famous in comedy, he's bigger than comedy now. You know what yeah. I mean? People who don't even give a fuck about stand-up know who Kevin Hart is, right? But Kevin Hart's core is a stand-up. Yes, he's a comedic actor. But that's the thing. Is like, If you hated the Beatles, if you were like, I fucking hate the Beatles... 
I bet you still know more than four songs by the Beatles. All right. The next song is Z-Lots. Uh, I love this song. Just a dope song of them shouting out random references. Uh, yeah, the best part, weird. Lauren once again steals the show where she sings the bridge. Peter, play 1 minute 07. See my rhymes are the type of fly rhymes that can only get down with my crew. And if you try to take lines or buy rhymes, <laughs> we'll show you how the refugees do. Yeah, yeah, behold, this my old man to fold on your rhymes. Two MCs can occupy the same space at the same time. It's against the laws of physics. So we bet your sweet dreams break up like rhythmics. Rap rejects my tape deck, rejects projectile. Whether you or Gentile, I rate top percentile. I love Lauren Hill's voice. Uh, this, As soon as I listened to it, like I mentioned earlier, it reminds me of when I was backpacking through Europe. Because yeah. this is the record. This and uh, Hello Nasty by the Beastie Boys were the only two records I was fucking with. Over a chop sample from the Flamingos 1959 doo hit, I Only Have Eyes For You, mm-hmm. the Fugees drop nerdy references to everything from astronomy to quantum mechanics. What's the nerdiest thing about you? Ooh, what's the nerdiest thing about me? Nerd nerd is a hard word to define now because I don't really know what that is. Like, Yeah, there's like hot chicks. They're like, I'm such a nerd. Yeah, it's like, no, what is nerd idea. anymore? I think when you nerd out on something, it means you like, you really, you just like, like you're, yeah, well, what you're do obsessed. You nerd out on? What are you obsessed on? I mean, you're a big sports guy, right? I love golf. I fucking love golf. Like, I love, I love, love golf. I would drop a lot of things to go golf. Really? Yeah, I love it. It seems so much fun, man. I should oh, get into it's it. The be- it's the most free, but I'm a nerd. Okay, this is what makes me a nerd. I golf alone a lot. I like to golf alone a lot. Like people are like, oh, you don't like to go with people. I do sometimes, but I love going alone. Nothing gets me off more mentally than being alone and golfing at like 7 a.m. up in the desert. It's weird. I don't know why. I think that's my nerd. That's like my nerd shit is golf because it's it's all it's super selfish and alone, and you're and you I get to just clear my head and hang out, and you're playing just yourself. I mean, it's great. It's a sport you get to play yourself. It's the it's it's my favorite sport. The only sport you can literally play yourself. You play yourself. Can't do that in tennis, can't do that in hockey, basketball, baseball, football, soccer. You can't yeah. really play yourself. You can play yourself in golf. That's all you're doing. So beating yourself is really tough. Most sports require you to pl- have a competition. But that's the beauty. You can have competition in golf, but no, you don't need to. You can just I can go out by myself at eight AM and go smack around and try to beat my personal best. How often are you playing? When I'm not busy, I play a couple times a week, but I haven't played now in a while because I've been so fucking swamped. But when I when at my in my dream state, I'd be playing three to four times a week. If that was, if in a perfect world, you know, if life gets to slow down in 20, 30 years, you know, like I don't believe in retiring. It's never a thing that I'll ever do. I'll never stop working, but I would love to be at a point where I'm like, like Ron White, fucking he plays, I think he probably plays almost every day. All right. Well, it's funny that you're mentioning uh, what, what you nerd out on because a zealot is a person who is fanatical and uncompromising in the pursuit of their religious, political, and right. other ideals. The zealots. Them zealots. See, you kind of answered that because that's, that's what I'd say you're probably fanatical about I'm fa- if it's golf. I'm, I'm, uh, if, it's, if you're really breaking it down, if you're like trying to like yeah, well, microscope. What are you a zealot? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a zealot of... of Pussy of, zealot. Yeah. <laughs> you know me in that booty. Um, I think I'm a zealot of like uh, of being alone, of like doing something alone, whatever it is, making something alone, playing a game alone. It's the best. Oh, I love it. That's that's the one thing I loved about uh, not being in a relationship for so long, and that's why I think I'm so apprehensive about jumping into another one. Yeah, is that I love 
everything about my other life than losing right all the money and your mind and all that stuff. Yeah, other than that, yeah, relationships. But are I'm great. at, a, but I'm mature enough now where I think I can handle all of the real relationship stuff like that, like sure. dealing with another person. But at the same time, do I want to put that? into what I call right now a perfect life. I mean, there's things that I would change, but for the most part, I love every day. What would you change? Um, honestly, you know, I'm dude, because this is the thing. All the problems that, that I had before, which were, you know, not being present, being in my head, being depressed, uh, anxiety-ridden, all that stuff is still there, but it's like I don't listen to it anymore. Great. And now I can just enjoy the day, and I can wake up and say, all right, well, you know, if – you know, I know I have some things to do, and it's like, if I get one done today, it was a great day. You know what I mean? It's not right. like I'm freaking out about my days like I used to. Um, You're at this pivotal point right now when you have you've reached like this mental freedom, and the only other stage to get trapped in, right, is material shit. That's it. That's the thing. I already right. went through that. Right. But, but I'm I, saying like now you're at a point when you're like, I'm happy. I don't really need to change a lot. Like I like where I live. I like what I do. I like my dog. I like my, th- like I have the shit that I enjoy. Yeah. The only way to crack that good happiness and, and to get into a place that maybe will upset you or start to cause more problems is when material shit sets in. That to me is if you can settle into a groove of like I'm happy I like these things and I like what I have and I don't really need that much more, it's a good place to be because when you start going, yeah, but yeah, I want this and I, I want this what with things and shit and stuff and it just becomes... I did. I was like that. I know exactly what bad. you're saying. When I first started making money, I spent a lot of it because I was trying to impress other people. Like, yeah. Bought the nice watch, got a nice car. I was like, that's all I wanted to do. Even I think the dog was like, I want to get a fucking Doberman so it's cool and people think I'm cool. <laughs> Even though I loved Dobermans. Right. But I always put everything on that. And then when I went through that, that big breakthrough... Uh, about a year and a half ago, I just realized all I care about is my time. Right. And that's all I want is to not have to take a job I don't want and have my day to work on the things I want to work on. Yeah, but that's so important, man. That's the the most important. That's probably why they made a good album here. These motherfuckers took took time on this album to make a really like solid, thorough, beautifully, melodically different album. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media podcast network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. That's what I, that's, that's, I think when you make time on art, that's when it comes out the best. If you don't well, make time for art, you're going you're gonna to fail. It's funny that you say that because a random fact that I had at the beginning uh, was after their debut album, which I can't say that word, debut. Debut. You said it right. After their debut album, which sold poorly, they were given 135000 as an advance by their record company, Roughhouse, for 
complete creative control and they wow. used that money to buy the recording uh, studio equipment, build their own studio. They built it in Wyclef's uncle's place in New Jersey and they christened it Booja Basement. Booja Basement. And that's where they that's where they recorded every track from this record. All right, the next one is The Beast. Oh yeah. Probably my least favorite song on this record. This really? is this is one that I skip. Yeah. I skipped it a bunch on this this listen because I listened to this album like 20 times. This is a dark, hellish and pretty tuneless look at police brutality, government surveillance and institutional racism. Things that you're familiar with. Very familiar with. What right. are your experiences like with the man? <sighs> Barely anything, man. I'm a white guy. <laughs> almost none. Uh I've you know, well I was I'm always I've always been you know anti-authority. I feel like that might be up your alley. You're a little anti-authority, aren't you? I used you? to be. Yeah. I still am a little bit. No, when you're a kid, when you're young. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's I what mean, I'm saying. Now I, no one, you fucking, you grow up, and you're like, oh, God, I need cops in case someone breaks into my fucking home. You know what I mean? Like, when yeah. you're a kid, like, fuck cops. I'll ne- fuck, I'll never fuck with cops. And, you know, and then now you get older, you're like, I need them in case, you know, somebody um, ding, have all this dinged nice my shit. car. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I, well, you just, you're, 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 you need protection at some point. You can't just rely on your own fucking vigilante mindset. So you've never been arrested? Oh, yeah, I've been arrested a bunch. Oh, well, then that's the man. Yeah, but that's my own. That's that's because of me. I was never trapped in a system. You know, I was never subjected to fucking being in a system because of who I am or where <laughs> I'm from. Chicago redheads, right. man. They fucking right, right. It's not, they it's got not, the tough like, people life. That get, people that get picked on, you know, people that, people that get picked on by the police and people that get, like, people that get caught in the system, that's the phrase that people like to say. That's the, I've never been subjected to things that I didn't create myself, right? And I'm saying most people probably create their own problems, but with cops, fighting, pissing in public. I got a fucking pissing in public charge, which was terrible because I had to go to classes about... Sexual... Yeah, dude. Assault? Yeah, dude. And, but Is I was that what in, they called it? I was in class with actual sexual predators. Like, I had to go to a fucking class. Uh, it was, I had to go to a substance abuse class because I was fucking drunk. I was underage drinking. And then I had to go to a class uh, about... Um, Sexual predi- All right, predatorial so you ways. Know, yep. You gotta keep your dick in your pants. <sighs> I know, but what if but what if there's a little kid running by and I really want to show him my penis? No. No? no? All right. What if he's a cute boy? No, it was just it was just so stupid. I had to be fucking be around real perverts and I was I just peed behind a bar and I got arrested. But arrested That's just a dick cop, dude. He was an asshole, he was dude. A dick he cop. wanted to fuck with me. So yeah, bullshit. You've been arrested, right? Many times. Yeah. Not since I've drank, though. Jail? Once I stopped drinking, uh, Ryan Sickler would, would... I've said to Ryan Sickler I went to jail. I, I did go to the uh, Baltimore County Detention Center when I got my second DUI. That's jail. And I, I was only there for a night. Uh, um, but yes, it, dude, I mean, it was it was people waiting for, like, you know, their cases to come up and be, then be taken either to a prison oof. or... But, I mean, and also keep this in mind, it's in Baltimore County, which is fucking scary, dude. I mean, it's there's yeah. a lot of... I remember there was a guy in my cell that was going through heroin detox, and so he's, like, squirming. The The, the scariest thing that I saw was, like, I did walk in, and there was this, like, like, not older white guy, but I'd say maybe he was in his early 40s, late 30s. Who knows? He could have been in his 20s and just did drugs and just been rough and tumbled. Right. But he immediately saw me. You know, because I was wearing, I was the shirt I was wearing. They let me keep my shirt, but you had to take. They give you like a jumpsuit for pants, and that goes kind of over you, like almost like a work jumpsuit. And so I was wearing a Howard Stern for Governor T-shirt. Dope. Um, and Perfect. I remember, yeah, dude. And I had like longer hair, and the guy saw me, and he was like, "Hey, man," he's like, "You know, come hang out with me, man." Like, dude, I'm a good guy. Don't worry, dude. And he's he was like, "Yeah, I'll help you out, brother." He's like, "Don't worry, you stick with me." And then he pointed at this kid because there was like three phones, and he pointed at this one kid that was on the phone. 
And the guy looked, he called him a kid, and the guy looked like he was like 40. And he goes, yeah, man, dude's in his 20s, dude. See all that see all that hair that's missing? He's been pulling that out for the last three days. Fuck. So for the, in the last three days, he's pulled out like a full-on <laughs> like, like bald spot. And and then I think uh, I don't think I even spent the night. I was I got there really early in the morning. I think I left by like six p.m. and uh, and then I got arrested again post that. But that was it. It was all drinking and driving. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's all. Like I I was the cause of all my my arrests. I was the problem for all that bullshit. Fighting in college, dumb, just the dumbest shit. Yeah. Yeah. No I, no DUIs for me though. You well, got you you got what three. Woo! But I haven't had one in, in 13 years. Well, no shit. You don't drink. That's true. Yeah. I did heroin in between then, though. But you don't have a heroin DUI. I should have, dude. Should have. Oh, my God. I remember one time I I, uh, I bought painkillers in downtown LA, and then I just pulled over at the corner of Main and 3rd and crushed up, like, three of them. I mean, like, this is, like, Damn. 4 p.m. rush hour, downtown LA. People are leaving the People office. People are leaving. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally right there. There's the crosswalk in me, and I'm just like... <laughs> Dude, I had a book that I just gave away at one of those that show that I do, the Shimmy Shimmy Yasha, yeah, yeah. and it was it was the pop up book of uh, the Kama Sutra, and everybody was like, "Why do you want to give that away? That's awesome!" And I said, and I flipped it over, and then you could just see these little dents in the books that were about a pill size because I used to have that book and just crush them up and then and then drive like a <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> Don't do that, kids. Don't do it. Don't do that shit. Do the drugs at your house. All right. Best part of this song is the skit at the end. Yeah. You want beef? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You want beef? This is a ch- so basically. <laughs> this is this is arguably a very racist skit, by the oh, way. Oh my god, dude! Yeah. See, he literally says, "This is uh, my favorite line." Is when he's like, "This is a Chinese restaurant, but like Burger King, you can have, have it your, your way. way." Depending on how you get think your about black this, asses out of here. Yeah, dude. This is about a, this is a very racist misstep that I don't think holds up. Uh, yeah, but but let's be honest. Does it do you, does it talk about the depths of why they made the sketch? Are you about to read that or no? Because I would argue that that this has a lot to do with. The tension in the black and Asian communities, like you want to talk about, like yeah, it's definitely always like Korean owned in a black always, area, yeah, always, always, always. So this is the root of that, you know what I mean? And so they kind of sure. So then they do this, they do this kind of cheap stereotype where they're like Korean guys are Chinese guys, they're Japanese guys, they're all the same. So this whole like it's a Chinese restaurant, I think he jokes about yeah, it's in there, Chinese and which is so funny, but it's just them taking a shot at these cultural bashings of. No, I agree. That's you a really good I mean? way to put yeah. it. Um, have you ever been accused of being racist for a joke? No, no. No, but but I think I'm racially aware. Like I think I make a lot of racial jokes, but because I, I because I am, I always say like if it's a racial joke and it comes from a right place, it's probably really funny and honest because that's if if you have love in your heart for those for for the person people that you're making fun of, I think it's only positive. If you're blatant and brash and you use words that have you know vitriol and hate behind them, it's very obvious. Like a racially charged joke. Uh, is different than a racial joke. Racially charged jokes obviously have some depth of, of something foul behind it, right? There's a reason that you're saying that because you kind of believe it. And I say, I just, I don't like that he goes after Mexicans. I think that's fucked up because I really love Mexican people. I do. And they're wonderful people. He called them lazy criminals. And I was like, that's such, like two, those words don't equate to me. Every Mexican, I don't know, and I don't know any lazy Mexicans. And it's like my maid has like six other jobs. I mean, she works really, really hard. And criminal, I mean, yeah, she does steal from us, but that's part of the job. You know, that's part of the exchange. You know what I mean? And it's me joking about this jokey thing that a maid would steal from you. And of course, his maid is Mexican. 
but it's me showing love. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's me just fu- I'm just fucking around. So it's so funny that we we talked about parallel thinking. Yeah, I have a joke. It it does start with Trump hating Mexicans, mm-hmm. but it's but it's well that's real, just a fact. But, but 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 then it goes into how can you hate Mexicans when there's so many shittier races of people out there? Totally. And then I compare Mexicans to Scandinavians. And I just go through like the food and the music right. and just like and you and I just I just show. So like, you're being racist towards Scandinavians, but people probably laugh. They do. See, is that they the funny really thing? They do because yeah. it's if anybody gets upset, it's always white people. Even but it, when but, I'm doing well, the yeah. Mexican shit, but when I'm even doing the Mexican shit, and Mexicans love it, and I shit on Mexicans. Like I compare the way they look. Like yes. Scandinavians are gorgeous, gorgeous people, and like. Yeah, then, then I'm like, you know, like ninety percent of Mexicans are some of the most beautiful people in the world. But that other, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the tough ten percent. That's a yeah. tough ten percent. Yeah. All right, that goes into Fujila. <clears throat> probably, probably the best song on the album. Yes, it's iconic. Peter, play fifty four seconds in. Sample lyrics, Armageddon come, you know we soon done. Gun by my side, just in case I got a rum. A, I always thought it was run, but it's rum. A boy I always thought side. it was run, too. Yeah, dude. A boy on the side of Babylon trying to front like he's down. Mount, Mount Zion. Zion. Chorus, in my opinion, is perfect. Uh, this was a lot of people's intro to the Fugees. This was mine. Yeah. Uh, this song is a great representation of the Fugees. They each crush their verse where they discuss their struggle and what they stand for. There is also so much to quote. Not just that line, but it's just the whole thing just fucking rips from top to bottom. So, funny story about this is that this was a Fat Joe beat that Wyclef and the rest wanted to hear uh, when he spit the opening line. When Wyclef uh, rhymed over and spit the opening line, we used to be number 10, now we permanent at one. The song became theirs. The, they, the producer took it away from Fat Joe, gave it to the Fugees. The hook is taken from the 1998 Tina Marie song called Ooh La La. Mm-hmm. Much of the track is sampled from the 1972 Ramsey Lewis instrumental version of If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't, don't Want to Be, be Right. Um, Both great tracks, by the way. It's funny. They, they stole a lot of music from very... Uh, they borrowed a lot of uh, great music to make this album. It's kind of interesting. There's, this is littered with great samples from other places. And sometimes they steal from places that are innocuous. Sometimes you see an album that takes stuff from that's really, really good. It's just good record dig. Digging in the crates, man. Some someone was digging deep in the motherfucking crates. So funny fact about this: the song was actually done prior to the score. So a lot of the score's vibe was based around this song. And in America, this was the only single released from the album, as the group's record company wanted to encourage album sales. They didn't put out "Killing Me Softly," "Ready or Not," "No Woman, No Cry." Those were they weren't sold. Those were only sent to radio stations as promotional singles, not sold. Which means they lost a shitload of money. Yeah, well, I don't know why they would do that. What is the biggest career misstep you've ever made? I've done it. A th- I mean, a million of. There's been a million of them. You know what I mean? I punched the president of NBC in his dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no. I mean, what the biggest career misstep? I, I, I haven't had one that's like. I haven't had one that's like drowning, you know, uh, because I'm still working. But I think I, I think I've made missteps as far as like, um, 
I think some things that I can do that are very stupid and detrimental is when I'm not happy about a project or something I'm working on that I kind of set myself up for failure a little bit that I, I put in a little bit less effort, which is not cool. It's not cool because if I'm not enjoying the project and I'm like, I fucking hate this. I hate what I'm doing. I don't like anything about it. Then I get deep in my head. I'm like, I'm going to look bad. It's going to be bad. Then I kind of self-sabotage a little bit. Um, that's really fucking, that's a bad habit that I, I've, I've learned to try to push away, but it's hard, dude. Cause if you're a part of something and you, you know, last year was like a tough year for me. I got cut out of a bunch of stuff. That's an ego check. So it's, it's really hard. It's not on purpose. They don't do that. What were you cut out of? I did Franco's movie. Um, oh, the disaster. Yeah, disaster artist, yeah. and I was sliced out of the whole thing. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, my, fa- just, my just, face is in there. Your about face a fi- is in it a lot, yeah. but he never says anything. no fucking words, man. So that was a weird ego check for no reason, and it wasn't deliberate. They didn't do that to say fuck you to me. It was just that's it just didn't work out, and it, it was what it was. You know, I mean, I that was that it was it was odd. The whole thing was very odd. Um, you know, it's, yeah, you. I don't know how to explain this, but to people, but it's like the business is never going to give you exactly what you think you want ever. So you just have to kind of do your best and have your have the most fun because things are always going to fucking not be what you think they're going to be. Nothing has ever been what they you think it's going to be unless you made it, you created it, you you started it, you edited it, you produced, you know like clerks, right? That's a good example of a film that was so Kevin Smith's vision, it was so unbridled by studios. It's probably why it was so beloved, right? Yeah. But that's but that's kind of it. The rest of the things that Kevin Smith has done it's impossible to get your complete vision. From you can't exactly do that what, unless you're unless at a it's level all that you. Is, yeah, which is why Louis was a great fucking TV show. What about in life? What are one of the biggest <laughs> mistakes you've made in life? Being starting becoming a comedian. <laughs> 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 What's my biggest misstep misstep in life? Pro, um, something you regret? Like, I mean, I, I regret not doing. I regret not going to my grandfather's funeral. If you want to get real fucking sad, I regret. I regret every day of my life. I think about it often. It sucks because he was like my fucking hero, and I was shooting something. I was in the middle of something when he passed away, and I just I literally couldn't leave. I mean, I could have left if I really wanted to fucking cause a stir, but I was also at a younger point in my career where I was like nervous. You know, I was like, Fuck. oh, you didn't think you, you thought they'd get rid of you? Yeah, I'm thinking they'd kick me out, or I'd lose the job, or the money, or or you disappoint your agents, or you, dis- you know what I mean? Like you get in these fucking ruts of like people don't understand that when you're young, it's hard to say no. You know, uh, it's so hard. So that was probably one of the biggest regrets of my entire life was not going to his fucking. You no, know, to back up what you're saying, my dad had an aneurysm in May of 2010, and I flew there for the surgery because he was. They literally, I got a call from my sister, who's a doctor, and she's like, she's "Your like, sister's a doctor. She's a doctor, and then you do this. Yeah. Fuck, they must be proud of her. I made more money than her the last two years. She's. I doing- know, but socially, it's more fun to talk about her. No, <laughs> Josh, I go beat angry. her. I beat her in the last. I beat her in. This, this always was a competition, huh? It's not, but I, that's the thing I always say. I want because my dad ended up dying, and I just wish I could have shown him. You know, because people are like, "It's like I wish my dad was here just so I could rub this in his face." Is oh, you. That, oh, this is more like oh, a fuck you. I have a chip on my shoulder. I'm John Wall, dude. I have yeah. a chip on my shoulder because my whole life. I mean, you're I not John friends. Wall, but. You're Josh. I'm Josh, but I, but I mean, his he's my spirit animal, and I fucking love him, and so, and I also respect any player that's playing. That's like I'm trying to prove you all wrong. That's why I loved Isaiah Thomas for the sure. season that he blew up. Sure, you know, and and I want my dad here. My dad would enjoy this. I would trust me. I take my dad to premieres. I take my dad to all the cool shit I'm doing, and he would love it more than anybody. But at the same time, I'd be like, I told you I was going to do comedy. Right. I told you I was going to do music. Right. You know, I told you I was going to be successful. You know, I know. I kept fucking up. And even when I was fucking up, I knew it. 
Right. I've oh, I've never doubted myself. Well, you ever. can't. You'll you'll never make it if you think you're exactly. not worth it. But I regret. My dad had the aneurysm. He my sister had called me and said, Josh, bring a suit like for the surgery. He was like, this is bad. Do you know what I mean? Like right. the surgery's bad. He's there's a, there's a chance he's there's 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 more of a chance he's not going to make it. Than and you're he like, does. can I just get one of his if he's not going to be around? I mean, doesn't he have a suit that I can? <laughs> No, we get a tailor there. I mean, I'll be there. We're sitting Shiva a full week. So I, but I remember I, I went home. He survived the surgery. Wow. And it was, it was, it was, it was a hard surgery on him. And I immediately went back to LA. Wish I would have spent time there because a month later he had all these procedures done and eventually he had a stroke and he died. Fuck. And then also, so I, 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 I could have spent some time with him. And then also after he died, I, I literally sat Shiva so that's seven days. And then I took off and went right back to LA because I was like, no, I have to work on my career. Mm. And nothing changed. Nothing no. happened. City's I, always going to be here. I should have been there with my mom. I should have yeah. been there with my mom to help her. And like, that's why I tell anybody now, I say, take time. Take anytime something tragic, dude. I didn't take time after Angelo died. Yeah, I fucking went. I got out of the hospital and went to the comedy store. I should have gone right back to Maryland, given my mom my painkillers, and said, "Mom, I want you to hold on to these because I don't trust myself." Because then I just did hardcore opiates for seven months. Right. You know, and I mean, I did do a bunch of good shows and meet, and a lot of things happened in that time. But if I just would have taken a month. Just to go back to Maryland would have been, I mean? been good for you. Yeah, oh, would have been great. But you, that's how you learn from that, man. There's nothing but there's. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hate to say that, but regrets are fucking uh, regrets are whack because they just teach you shit, and it's not the nothing is the end of the world. Every, no, you're right. Nothing is just. Exactly. And, I, and I've turned out great. And obviously, yeah. you know, it might have taken some years to deal with my dad and Angelo dying, but now I have. Yeah. And, and now I'm in a good place. And it's the same thing with you and your grandfather. I mean, he 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 knew that you know. If, if it was more or less like you should have gone there just because you wanted to be around the family or you just wanted to show him the respect, he knew. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, I also have a tough, he tough was- time with grief, dude. I'm very, I'm tough. I'm a tough, tough cookie. I always say I wish I could cry, dude. I wish I wish I could learn how to cry. A lot of people, I know a lot of people can cry. I cry, dude. Can't. I don't, I do, dude, it, it's but it's not me shit. being a man. It's just me saying, it's not, it's real. When my grandmother died, my, 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 my dad's mom, I went, to, I went to the funeral and I remember looking around. I was young too, but I remember looking around and being like, how come all these people are crying? Am I a bad person because I don't know how to cry? I couldn't cry. It was the weird. It's the weirdest thing, dude. It's the we- I just I've talked about it before. I don't know why. I'm, I cry daily. Yeah, I wish, dude. Songs. I, but, but but I'll cry at some fucking. I'll cry, but it's got it's uh, it's it's like an amalgamate. It's like this. I cry when like everything hits me at the same time. That's when I cry. But like when things happen, I just don't know how to fucking cry. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I'll get emotional. Right, I know how to do that. I'm watching fucking 30 for 30 in my hotel room last night, getting emotional as shit about this guy with no legs and no fucking arms and has, his caretaker has to do everything for him. Wipe his ass, feed him, shave him. You know what I mean? You know, jerk him off. You know, he had to do everything. <laughs> it's so fucked up. No, he just, he had to do everything for him. So I got emotional. I was like, oh, it's so fucking sad to me. So anyway, but no, I don't, uh, no fucking, no, no regrets. You just got to learn from your bullshit. Completely. Everyone's got bullshit. Everybody's That's got bullshit. bullshit. And the next song... Is family not bullshit. Business. Family no, business. I think it is bullshit. I, yeah. This is I wrote literally. Song is just okay. Another one I skip over. Um, I can't believe you don't like that song. I don't really like it. It's just one I skip <laughs> over. <laughs> the main sample you hear throughout most of the song is Franco Terragan's composition "Recuerdos de la 
Alhambra. Come on, man. You lived here long enough. You don't speak any Spanish? I, my eyes are bad. I can't see the screen, dude. I look glass. <laughs> That's even funnier. You notice me squinting? That's how I know you lived here real long. You don't speak Spanish and you're losing your vision? Yeah. Shit's bad. Dude, LA's was, tough. Dude, I went to somebody's wedding once and I was a couple rows back from the st- from like the, the dance floor and they were doing their first dance and I couldn't see and there's a whole table of people that thought I was mad because I'm just like... <sighs> He's jealous. He's like, so he jealous. loves the wife. He's jealous. Yeah, somebody pulled me aside afterwards. He goes, Josh, man, you know, you know, are you guys, you all right? Like, you know, you're okay with like I'm this fucking is a fine. Great dia, I'm right? fine. This is a great day. Yeah. All right. Over Spanish guitar and iconic beats. This one talks about the importance of family, especially for those living in the grittiness of the inner city. The song also has guest support from Omega and John Forte. John Forte. So let's talk about family business. Uh, yeah. When did you tell your parents you wanted to pursue comedy, and were they supportive about it? It's funny. I talked about this on Rogan a little bit too, but I, I, um, I, I, I wrote a letter my in in high school uh, to like a guidance counselor or some shit, and I have I posted it on Instagram. But it's basically me professing that I wanted to move to Los Angeles and be a comedian. I mean, I knew when I was a kid. That's why I, I don't think I, ne- I don't think they, I, my parents have never been surprised. And which is cool, you know, and it's also cool to hear them say, like, we knew you would be successful. And I'm like, no, you didn't fucking know. And they're like, yeah, we did. I mean, they, I, my parents had, my parents, supportive is not the right word. They were. But my parents are, we're, a, we come from a different kind of support system. We're not like, my parents weren't like, you know, they're not like the loving, like, I got a friend whose mom is like, every week. You know, like Adam Ray's mom is like the oh most supportive. Oh my support, god! Right? Yeah. yeah, dude, she's at like huge festivals. She'll do everything. She'll right. Do my everything. parents are not like that. They're supportive in the idea that they're like, we support you doing what you want to do, and we wish you the best, and we know you're going to do well. But it's not. My parents never were like, we'll financially just pay for you to get an apartment in L.A. Like I wasn't part of that ilk. I didn't yeah. have that bullshit. So my parents, it's I come from tough love world of like, you can do it because you're fucking, you're good. So go fucking do it, and don't. Don't come bitching to us. Go do it, because you, if you're tough enough and you're good enough, you'll do it. And that was, I think that's what worked. So that's that's my what that's your, my family dynamic. What did your parents do? Uh, my mother, well, she still works. My mom works. Um, she's a uh, she works in in uh, in real estate in, in in property management, real estate in downtown Chicago. And she's always done that, as far as I've known. And my old man did sales. Just regular ass white people, fucking Midwest shit. Automotive aftermarket sales. He used to work for a company called Turtle Wax. You know Turtle Wax? Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, fuck Turtle Wax. Fuck oh, them. Oh, fuck them? Fuck them. Use Meguiar's. Fuck Turtle Wax. Yeah, Turtle Wax, my dad worked for them for forever, and then they fucked them. That company's failing down anyway. They suck. No one's washing their own cars anymore. It's uh, it's just, it's you know, it's a new it's a new era anyway. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's just typical fucking hardworking people that just, you know, nine-to-fivers that do their shit. That, I come from so many... You know my and my mom's whole side. Every brother is a is a laborer. You know they all work blue collar. So you're a very very blue collar family. That's all I. That's all I've known. My my father, my biological father, construction contractor. His brother, same thing. I don't. I don't. I've no one I know is a fucking executive yeah. at Merrill Lynch. You know, no one in my family. We don't have anybody that like. There's not one person in my family who's like balling. We don't have that. You know, like, I, 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 whenever I hear someone that's like, my grandparents, you know, their cottage or their lake house, you know, all that fucking shit, and they're like, my grandpa left us money. You know, you, you the people like that. It's like, I'm not ha- hating on them, I'm just saying I'm jealous. I, I didn't have any I of that shit. I wish I had somebody, like, that wealthy in I know. my family. I, yeah. have, I have one family, and they live in Long Island, and we see them. We love them. You know what I mean? They're great. 
but it's just like we don't. But you're not getting that money. No. That's what I'm saying. It's like I don't. I I I I'm always jealous when someone's like, you know, like I have a friend. Is like his his girlfriend's family helped them get up, get a house, get a place, or whatever, and uh, that's dope. But it's just like I get jealous because I'm like, damn, dude, I don't have any money in my family. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I didn't. We don't have. I could never expect something from my family. But that's how we've how we've always been forever. It's kind of like that's that's the way it goes. It's like you just work for your shit, and if you can afford it, you can afford it. And if not, too fucking bad. That's great. Yeah, that's fucking great. Yeah. All right, killing me softly With once again. His song. This is one of the most iconic songs uh, from any member of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's so great about this song is that it's just Lauren and the drums until the chorus. Yeah, just her, and that actually they actually fought for that. Joe Nicolo, co-owner and president of Rough House Records, argued that. With Wyclef during the recording because he thought it needed more. Wyclef said no, and obviously uh, he was right. He was right. He was 100% Could right. Could you imagine if yeah. they fucked that up? It was so beautiful. It's, it makes the song that much more powerful. Uh, have you had a gut feeling that you had to fight for? Um, <laughs> yeah, creatively, I do it all the time, even if I lose, but I do that all the time. There's things that I constantly am like, I believe that this is the way it should be. Um, yeah, dude, I, I do I do that often, often when I'm creating stuff or when I'm making creative shit or, you know, when I, I did on Showtime, I did on I'm Dying Up Here, I did that this show for a couple of years. I'm on Dying Up Here on Showtime, and uh, there was often I was I was like I wouldn't say that or I don't feel that that's real or I would fight for creative stuff all the time. I I, lo- I learned to do that. I don't think you do that when you're young. I think you have a way harder time fighting for your truth when you're young. It sucks. You get nervous. Like I said, you don't want to fuck things up. You don't want them to fire you or hate you. And it's like, once you become confident in who you are, then you can go, no, I think I I would do this this way or this is the real thing. You know, there's no specific example I could give that's like, I went out of my way to fight for what I believe in. But I feel like I do that all the time in small instances. I mean, you do that every night on stage. I fight for exactly the way I want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't. I don't adhere to an audience's feelings and reactions. I don't think about reception. Um, I used to care a lot when I was young about comics, comics about comics caring about me, and now I don't give a fuck what other comics think. If you're my homie, that's awesome. I don't give a shit if some comic is like, well, I don't like his comedy. It means literally nothing to me. I, I want to appease fans and you know. And and people that are willing to hear new shit. If they're shut off or shut down or they don't like my material or my angles, I don't give a fuck. So that that's the thing. I fight to not compromise with an audience. I'll never change my fucking material. You know? I'll yeah. ne- I'll ne- that's something I learned to never do again. You know? Like a corporate gig when they were like, oh, you can't. You got to keep it super clean. And it's like, I, I ju- that's not who I am. I'm not a dirt. I'm not like... I'm not a filthy comic. I'm not talking about like fucking earn an asshole. That's yeah, not who no, I am. But I'm not a bridled comedian. I like to say whatever I want to say. What so I've learned to just be like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do those gigs unless I can say unless you're comfortable with me being me. You know, you know. So I think that's I fought to be. I fought in stand up to try to just stick to my guns, and it's not easy, dude. That's a tough road. You don't yeah. get a lot of love from a lot of people sometimes because you know. Listen, I you know sometimes I go do East Side shows and I tell some of the jokes that I tell and they yeah. don't fuck they don't like that shit. I, I always every time I do that at an East Side show and uh, I start I stop doing well uh, or when they just they they won't go for me I always go what the fuck is it with me crossing Western that makes me not funny <laughs> yeah, yeah. as soon as I cross Western yeah. Avenue yeah all right. This was the last song that they recorded for the album because Praz said they needed a song. It's all rap. He wanted to showcase Lauren Hill and her incredible talent. So we chose this song and the idea of making it sound uh, the hard way that it sounds with the... uh, 
with the A Tribe Called Quest Benita Applebaum breakbeat sample. Now, such a by the way, Benita Applebaum, you got to put me on is one of the greatest songs of all time. Peter, play uh, play a minute, three, second, ten, the iconic whoa, just so everybody can hear how powerful this song is as if they didn't already know it. Mm. Funny thing about this, to finish that thought prior to this, Wyclef also still had the ego enough to put his voice in this song. Just that one time that was completely unnecessary. When has your ego gotten in the way? Oh my God. I mean, I try to curb my ego at every turn, but sometimes... um Sometimes your ego gets the best of you. I would say, like when I, I would say I got a little egotistical when I first got my first like thing in LA. You know, when I first got like a sitcom or when I first got like comics to watch, I, I would have like an ego about not wanting to go at certain times and shows or not. You know what I mean? Like or not doing certain shows anymore. I would get a little egotistical about like I'm bigger than that mentally. It's like I don't need to do that anymore. Um, but I've learned, you know, you learn to get over those fucking stupid humps because. Once you have your first up, you have your first down. And when you have your first down, you learn heavily that your ego is bullshit. So I, you check the fuck out of yourself. I don't think I really have a big ego anymore. I, I'm, I'm not. I am who I am. I know where I place in things. Yeah. So I don't. I, when, I, when you get something when you're young, that's why fucking people hate Justin Bieber when he was young. You know? It's like, that's what happens, dude. You, you get an ego when you're young and you're told that you're great. That's why. I ever, that's why I don't think stardom should happen to anyone under thirty. I really, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't think anybody should given be given superstardom before they're thirty. It's really hard because it just it fucks with you. You're young. You're so underdeveloped. You don't know shit. You haven't experienced yeah, you're life. You're a baby. In you're a baby, 20s, man. I, I, so, listen, some of the best talented people on earth, athletes, musicians, comics, everybody. Some of the best talented people happen to be young. I mean, look at some of the best athletes are nineteen years old. They're pros. You know what I mean? That's crazy. You know, it's just, it sucks because as a human, you're not there yet. You're yeah, just I mean, not there. You the can way. have all the money in the world, but, but if you're not mature enough to know that you shouldn't be stealing crab legs, I mean, fucking, that's... Can you fucking believe that? Like, just a dumb Can you fuck. fucking believe that? Yeah, it does. It's, it's just, it's just, but it's simple mistakes because you're young and your ego gets in the way. You think you're untouchable. You think you're flawless. That's why when you're young, you're like, I'll fucking... You know, my, one of my one of my closest friends, my my buddy, um, my buddy Jim James, he, he, he used to ride dirt bikes professionally and he was... Like, dude, I mean, one of the best in the world was in, was insane, would do fucking anything because he thought, I'll never die. Like, I'll never die. You know what I mean? Like, I'll do a triple backflip on a dirt bike yeah. and bail if I don't feel like I'm going to land on it because you think even if I fall from 30 feet, I'm still going to live. But shit happens. People get hurt. You know what I mean? Like, and then you wake up a little bit and you have to curb this flawless ego that you've got. Ego can be good, but I think it can also bury people. You know, ego is good when you need it for performance. But ego's bad when you use it in social aspects. That'll that'll bury you. That buries you. Completely. All right. Next song is The Score. Uh, I love the guitar in this song. Uh, Praz has the best verse. It's the first time on the album. Peter, play minute one, second 41. I'm going to bring down the ruckus, play the nutcracker. Roughneck, rednecks, makes me no bother. Time after time, accent dilapa. Boss, you don't want to fuck with my partners. Motion, commotion, what's your proposal? Uphold twofold, the crew is disposal. Like utensil, frost like dental. I autograph my lyrics with a number two pencil. Score. 
The title of the song is another family past the mic moment that's so self-assured and self-referential that it contains vocal samples from every other song mm-hmm. on this record like that's what we I'm talking about, about earlier. The one constant, though, of the song is the line, it's time to settle the score. Yep. What is the best score that you've ever settled? Oh, um, that's funny. What's the greatest score I've ever settled? Um, I, can, I can tell you... God, that's that's a really good question. What's the best score that I've ever settled, huh? Yeah. Do you want to go down the revenge route? Like, what's the greatest piece yeah, dude, of revenge what's, what's, I've that's ever? What, what, this, is, this, is your, this is your score, dude. I'm trying to think of like what's my what's my. Do you have a score? Do you have one? While well, I'm trying to populate like my favorite one in my brain, I think. Um, I mean, I, I there's there's so much, but it all the best score is just is just the success that yeah. I've that I've been able to have. You yeah. know what I mean? To every ex girlfriend, to every you know, dude. I remember there was a girl that I was dating uh, out here that you know is now you know her and uh i remember one <laughs> one night i went out with uh with uh, angelo and i didn't bring her along and she got mad right. and then she went out to eat or get drinks with uh, her friends and she came home and she was like you know you're never gonna make it you know who said that you're never gonna make it emil hirsch and she was like, we were talking about you. And he's like, never gonna. I was like, do you know, uh, Emil Hirsch? I don't know. Why? She knew Emil Hirsch, but yeah. I didn't. But I was like, I was like, fuck, man. Emil says I'm never going to make it since <laughs> I'm too old. He doesn't even know me. Right. But that, but dude, it's just any time like that I, I constantly get work and I just keep, you know, I think there's a little bit of like, kid, dude, I fucking was able yeah, to. Yeah. But I don't have like, I never got like revenge. revenge. I don't have revenge. I, I, I have the, the, the first, um. The first uh, job I ever had in LA was working for this guy who owns a production studio out here, and and uh, I think he kind of treated me passively and didn't give a shit about me and was like, "This guy's just a whatever, like another number," you know? Yeah. And so now, it feels really good to like not audition for him. Do you know what I mean? Why did he just? He just had it out. Like their company? Just... No, their company. Oh, why did why did he treat me that way? Because yeah. I was just a young twenty-two-year-old piece of shit to him. I was a nobody. It just goes to show you, you don't know you don't know who the fuck you're working with. You don't know who you're working next to. You don't know what they're going to become. You don't know what they're going to go on to do. I think he didn't care. I don't. I don't think he thought I was anything. I th- you know, like I, I professed how hard I worked, how badly I wanted to make it in stand up, and you know, I would work for him all day and then all night do stand up and then work for him all fucking day and do it all over again every day, every day. And I just think he just kind of thought I was just like pat on the head type of like condescending, like yeah, yeah, you're fucking okay. You're gonna be a little comedian guy. That's cute. You know that kind. It was that kind of attitude towards my shit and then now years later you know they they i think they had called in for me to go for an audition whether or not he was aware of it it was his production company you know it's their company and yeah and we were like nah we're not going to read for that shit hello tom may here host of future friday i've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band the menzingers where i've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people so i started a podcast on Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. It was, like, it was, a, it was, a, it was such a nice, like, nah, I'm not reading your fucking movie. I'm not going off for your fucking movie. I don't want to be in your bullshit movie. I don't like your fucking movies. You make shitty movies. What movies does you make? I'm not going to tell you. You can't tell me? Can you tell me off? Yeah, of course. I'll tell you. I'll tell you everything off. I I, I don't need to demean someone's company. It's just like... But I was just, I just got treated a little bit like, like fucking, like I was a turd. Yeah. You know, and I, and I always felt that way. It was very demeaning. The whole attitude towards the whole thing. It was never appreciative. 
And I think that's an attitude in Hollywood that's slowly going away for the good because people know that it's like, oh, it'll come back. You start, you, you treat all the young people like shit, watch. Watch in 10 years who the fuck they are and what they're doing and what companies they're running, you know? Oh, yeah. You, in, in L.A., so, you have to be nice to Everywhere every, in the fucking country, yeah. but... You know, it's you see it here more. You see a guy who's a production assistant now owns a fuck. Now he work. You know, he's the head of Fox. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like that. That's a. It just happens more blatantly in our world than it does in other people's world. But you should treat the the lowest person on the totem pole should be treated just like the first person at the top. What's any, the difference? Any revenge in in before you became a comic? Um, I think probably a lot of kid shit, a lot of kid revenge bullshit. You know, a lot of like fights and shit like that. There was a. I never got to. I never got revenge on. Uh, no, you know, there's a lot of people that fuck me over, but I cut them out of my life forever. That was my, that's my form of revenge. Yeah. And never being cool to you ever again, even when they try to be cool to me. If you fucked me bad, like if you really fucked me over, did some dumb shit to me, you know, I just, I'll, I'll never, I'll never talk to you ever again. That's fucked up. What's the best cutting somebody out one? <sighs> there was a dude that, uh, me and him got busted smoking pot when we were in high school. And, uh, you know, was one of my closest friends at the time. And he, 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 his parents came his came home early and we were getting high at his house and i and that was the first time i ever got caught getting high and it collapsed my relationship for a minute with my parents because they were like you were well no they were more like you were supposed to be doing this and you lied oh like i lied bad to get out of this thing so i could go do this to go get stoned and it was just like i just compiled a lot of bullshit and put it on my parents that they thought i was doing this other thing and i had yeah. lied and i just created this fake world to get away with this thing and then this dude told his mom it was all my weed, it was all my influence, it was all my shit, and he never took any of the credit for the bullshit. He never fucking admitted that we bought that weed together. We smoked weed together all the fucking time, me and this kid. And then, about a week was going by, a week or two, and my parents were, you know, we were getting along, they were over it, it was all bullshit in the past, and we go out to a family dinner, and we come home back to my house, and this fucking dude's mom had left a manila envelope on my doorstep, and my mom was like, what is this? And it's the weed a pipe, all this shit, and a note that was like, I think this belongs to your son. So this bitch went over to our fucking house and dropped off weed on our porch just to like drum up more anger out of my parents. And I never forgave the dude for that because he was a fucking snitch. He's a snitch. He was like, a sold me out. Like it was all yeah, my shit. Move. He was a bitch, dude. Bitch so ass our move. Our friendship, bop, zoop, <laughs> went away. I was like, fuck that dude. I wanted to fight him when we were young. I mean, I don't care. I'm a grown man now. Yeah. I, don't, I hope he's well in life. I don't give a fuck, but... It ended our friendship as youth because I was like, dude, you were my homie and you threw me under the bus. We bought that pot together, bro. What are you talking? It was like, it was so garbage. Like he couldn't man up. I manned up. My mom was like, you, were you getting high? I was like, I was like, yeah, I fucking, yeah, we were getting high. He I bought that weed. He do it, dude. He probably had that. He was probably mom's special little boy. You he's know a, what I mean? Well, what, you're a bitch is what you are. He's you're, a bitch. It's your homie, dude. He's you a stick bitch. by your homies. All right. The Mask. Oh yeah. Uh, what do you think about this song? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's okay. Right. Wrote, this is this is the this is the trending end of the album for yeah, me. Yeah, dude. I wrote eh, just eh, eh. <laughs> Yeah, I think that says a lot about the song. It's not one of my favorite songs. Peter, uh play the cheesy ass chorus because this song is cheesy as fuck. M to the A to the S to the K put the mask on the face just to make your next game. Feds be hawking me. Jokers be stalking me. I walk the street and camouflage my identity. My posse in a Brooklyn wear the mask. My crew in the jersey wear the mask. I stick up kids doing boogie woogie wear the mask. Yeah, everybody wear the mask. Yeah, yeah. I used to work at Burger King. A king taking orders. 
punching my clock. Now I'm wanted by the manager, souping me up, saying, You're a good yeah. worker. How would you like a quarter raise? Move up to the register. Large in charge, but you gotta be a spy. Come back and tell me who's bagging my fries, getting high on company time. Like I said, it's just not one of my favorites, but there is a verse uh, with Wyclef talking about his boss at Burger King. Wants him to spy on the other employees. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, did you have any menial jobs growing up? Did you work? I worked at McDonald's was my first job. I wouldn't say any of those are menial. I would say they're good. You know, I would say they're... I would say they, they, they help you. you. You need to work well, what's, fucking those gigs. What's the shittiest job you've ever had? And then you're like, McDonald's? <laughs> no. You know what's so funny? I love McDonald's, dude. It paid well when I was young. I was 15 years old. All my friends worked there. 4:25. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. An hour. And I was getting, I was getting stoned and working with friends and and taking food. That was my favorite job. There was no pressure. It was bullshit. It was a, you know, I think my shittiest job was probably, um, God, what's my shittiest job? Being, um, being a PA in LA was was a little hard on you because I didn't get paid any money to be a production assistant, and you kind of work a lot for nothing, and you get pushed around, and you kind of get treated like shit, like I just talked about, but. That was one of my least favorite jobs, I'll say that. I don't know how shitty it was, you know? Like, I'd never had to fucking... I never had to scoop coal out of a mine, you know? I never had, like, a physically demanding job. I always had just shitty bullshit, th- you know, throw-by-the-wayside gigs. But most gigs I did, did I enjoyed. I just burped into the yeah, mic. I know you did. Most, uh, most gigs I enjoyed. You know, most things. Like, I was a lifeguard. I was a fucking caddy. I did all sorts of bullshit. Those are great jobs. Yeah. Um, but did, have you ever had any of your bosses do anything shady or any strange requests or any shady bosses i never had to blow a a boss yeah i never had to blow a boss but i I mean i had i worked for shady dudes i worked for dudes that were like a cold calling telemarketing company and they would move buildings every four months and i would you know and i made sense of it i was like i think that's just how the business works it was like nah because they were like tax evading shady fucks but they were awesome they made me a lot of money so I worked, I worked for some illegal people, man. It was dope. Really? Yeah, it was, it was badass. I mean, I've worked, when I worked in the strip club world, yeah, the they shady. were just, the shady. There, there was a guy, Big John, at this club Desire, and I mean, it was, there was supposed to be no alcohol, no drugs, and, um, because it was a full nude bar. Right. And, uh, from that, because it was full nude, and they they would they weren't allowed to be full nude with alcohol in Los Angeles. I'm Can't do that. Know that. Yeah. So what he would do is he would just let everybody bring whatever. Dude, there were people doing coke out on the table, just Dope. drinking MS13. Somebody died there. Yeah, <laughs> it was scary, dude. What a nice little environment that you uh, you cultivated for yourself. I, and that's there. the yeah. thing is, I'm this sweet person, and yeah. I worked in that business for six years. Damn. That that was why when we. Why I got depressed for so many years was yeah. that when we did, because when we did New Faces at Just for Laughs together, and I got back to America, and you and Davidson and and everybody, Alice Waterland, Aparna, everybody was doing shit, and yeah. I still had to go back and bring up a girl named Cilantro to this day. Cilantro. Sell t-shirts that no one wanted to buy, because that was, <laughs> no, that was, that's the only way strip clubs think they can make money, is like, you got to sell the t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> the club's not doing well. We got to sell T-shirts. I'm like, nobody wants to buy evidence. Yeah, that they were there. That's yeah. a, what a bad idea. <laughs> All right, Cowboys. This is sick. This is a good song. Yes. Uh, right from Wyclef's Odalehi. Uh, that's where they had me. And what's cool about this song, not just the beat, which is sick, the chorus and all the other stuff that make it good, is that. Each Wyclef, Lauren, and Praz are all rapping with another MC. Yeah. So there's actually six MCs in the song. There's uh, Wyclef with Pace One, Lauren with Rod Digga, and Praz with Young Z. 
Um, Rod so, Digger was so good, by the way. One I love Rod Digger. Yeah. Actually, all right, so... Peter, play a little bit of Wyclef's verse. You shot your bullet, but the bullet went Desperado. You were I pull out my gun and plug two like true God. Wyclef. Pace one. Yo, this is how the West was won. Armado. A true Desperado. Rappers want to be actors, so they play the Jesse James Karakar. And get they bones fractured. You ain't got no guns, you off to the precinct. Inside, tough guys are feminine like Sheena Easton. <laughs> my cry, my cry, son still died. Thrown off the building like the fourth guy. Caved in a grave because you didn't know how to huh. behave. Playing cowboy, now you sleep with the slaves. Who's the desperado? Selling bottles in the alley. On some villain shit. Wearing a mask like Jim Carrey. <laughs> with his gat cock, stinking up the crack spot. Pace one dies with both eyes on the jackpot. I, I think this is one of the better songs on the record. Cool thing about this, in Wyclef's verse, on this song, it sparked a feud with Tupac, who took it as a personal affront. And this led to the response song by Tupac, When We Ride On Our Enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had any big feuds in your life? Mm. Um, no, not really. I, I really haven't had heavy enemies in my life. Like, there's never been somebody that I'm like, you're my, you're my ultimate fucking nemesis. You know, other than Chris D'Elia. He's my, he's my fucking arch nemesis, that dude. Everybody knows that. I hate him. I hate Chris, and I've never respected him or liked him as a human or a comedian. No, I don't have any fucking... I really don't have any enemies. Nah, I don't, I don't let that shit get to me to that degree. And if you did, you'd cut him out. Gone. All right. Um, something cool, and you mentioned this about Rod Digga. So, Rod Digga and the rest of the other MCs that, were the, that made up the Outsiders... Got, they all got a record deal from this track. God damn. None of them had any idea. Rod Digger was quoted saying she had no idea this that the Fugees were going to do anything. Wow. She literally thought this would be one of 180, you know, guest sets that she does that year. Wow. Um, Rod Digger was also pregnant and broke. So for her, her to fucking have this like change her life because this song literally changed her life. Yeah. Have you had any unexpected successes? Oh my god! I mean, I think everything I've ever done has been pretty unexpected. I think I think every time you land something, you go, "Wow, that's incredible! That's amazing! I'm glad I got it! I can't believe you can't believe you get things sometimes." Um, you know, I've had a lot of things like come to me that are that are kind of great. Like I, I yeah, I, I, like I got to create this. This this sports show, uh, this character sports show for Yahoo. They let me do everything from scratch. It was kind of great. And those, you know, not not nothing that you know blew up in success. But I got to, I've gotten to like really try my own shit and do my own thing. And those are always beautiful, and they're almost always unexpected. Almost every time I've been like, wow, this fucking that's great that it happened. You know, the other things you work for. You know, those aren't really unexpected. You know, when you work for a half hour, you work for this or work for Conan. Or try, when you're working to do stand-up on TV and stuff, it's like you... When it happens, you're happy, but it's not unexpected. You're like, okay, good. I fucking... Yeah. I worked and I got the thing. Everything that I've gotten or anything that I've created, uh, the reason I put my heart into it is because the second I create it, I know. Give it to me. All right. No woman, no cry. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I never liked it either. That's great. I never liked it. It's I just, annoying. Yeah. Also, you know... Bob Marley. Well, Wyclef thinks he's Bob Marley. That's yeah. that's the whole thing. That's and this song is what I think really solidifies it. Yeah. Um, are there any heroes that you're trying to emulate? Um, I think I, I think like my dream state career path would be someone along the lines of like Bill Murray meets Steve Martin meets uh, Jim Carrey. I think if you could fucking squash those humans together, it's like the kind of thing that I, the dance, the dance in the career that I'd want to do. I try to emulate that where it's like, I want to be a jack of all trades, 
Um, like I want to be able to, I want to be able to do all these other things. I don't want to be just relegated to the one thing that I know how to do. I just want to just keep trying new shit. I want to change. I want to do drama uh, for a couple of years. I want to do just comedy. I want to do black, dark shit. I want to do fucking sunshiny shit. I hope in 30 years I get to do kid shit, cartoons. and I, I, I want to do it all. I hope yeah. I get to try it all. I don't ever want to be someone who's like, I only do this. It's like, no, man, I, you know, don't put me in a fucking uh, Pixar movie. I would love that shit. Like, I don't, I want to try all the things. Like, why not? What the fucking, the whole idea of just eating, eating one meal, you know? It's like, I want to try Italian food and then Chinese the next day. I don't want to have the same thing for the rest of my career. So that's kind of it for me. All right. You know? No, I, I completely agree with yeah. that. Um, did you have any phases growing up? Because we talked about Shit. like white reggae. Did I was you... a wigger for sure. That's I what was I was going to ask. Big wigger, big wigger, hardcore, Jinko jeans, FUBU. I had a FUBU jersey. I had a FUBU jersey, un, like knowing that the that the acronym is for us by us, and I was like, "You did not give a it's shit. for me, man." Yeah, I had a FUBU. I, I was I was a heavy wigger, and I got called it all the time. I had a joke about it on my first album or whatever about people. Our second album called me a wigger because it was like it's it was so true. Everyone said it to me, and it's offensive, but it wasn't because they called it. They t- said I was all the time. But I feel like I it was I prideful like to me it now though because I want to talk about how I was a wigger on stage. Yeah. Uh, but even not even like to go into so much detail, but just talking about these moments in my life where I thought I was cool, but looking back, yeah, you know what I mean? Because in yeah. the moment you're like you're the coolest. Yeah, motherfucker but you're never. In the world. Yeah, it's, it's like that for everybody. Your your parents were never cool. They thought they were the shit. You're not. You're not cool. I'm cool now. You think in 15 years you're gonna know that guy's a fucking dork. I don't know. I'm pretty. I'm pretty fucking cool, dude. See, right you'll re- you'll regret saying that. We're gonna listen to this. I in mean, 20 I'm years. Co- dude. I got a, I got the Doberman. You know what I mean? See, oh my god, this is just adding up to being not cool. All this shit's gonna amalgamation. Now you're not. No one's ever cool. Cool it's is the second fake. Second time you said amalgamation. Is that a, you, you're, yeah? That's, that's that your buzzword? Yeah, that's my hot. That's my hot word. That's my. That gets me going, man. No, everyone's never. No one's cool. No one. I agree. No with one that. is cool. All right, last song on the record, Manifest Outro. Now, I don't think I heard this song at all until I listened to it this past. I don't uh, think I ever made it this far. I think I just turned it off post No Woman, No Cry. And the song's okay. It's fine. It's okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's a fine song. Now, this is the last group song on the album, and Wyclef starts off his verse name-checking Jesus Christ and Haley Selassie. I don't know who that is. When he starts talking about being Judas and selling out Jesus, I thought the whole song was going to go in that direction. But then Lauren comes on and fucking just shits all over Wyclef. Yeah. Like, she just shits. It's a dark fucking verse. Peter, play... Lauren's verse for me. You see, I loved hard once, but the love wasn't returned. I found out the man I died for, he wasn't even concerned. And time had turned, he tried to burn me like a perm. Though my eyes saw the deception, my heart wouldn't let me learn from. Um, some dumb woman was I. And every time he'd lie, he would cry, and inside I'd die. My heart must have died a thousand deaths. Compared myself to Tony Braxton, thought I'd never catch my breath. Nothing left. He stole a heart beating from my chest. I tried to call the cops. That type of thief they can't arrest. Pain suppressed will lead to cardiac arrest. Diamonds deserve. Diamonds, but he convinced me I was worth less when my people would protest. I told them mind their business because my shit was complex, more than just a set. I was blessed, but couldn't feel it like when I was caressed. I spent nights clutching my breasts, overwhelmed by God's test. I was God's best, contemplating death with a gelag. No man is ever worth the paradise manifest. Her verse on this alone is the manifesto for her solo album that came out a few years later. So she's just going hard on this. Yeah. What's the most brutal thing a woman has ever said to you? Hmm. I can do some funny things. 
I remember a girl once said to me, she was like, she goes, your eyes. I go, what about them? I'm thinking she's like hitting on me. She goes, they're like dirty lake water. And I was like, That's, that is not a nice compliment to say my eyes are like dirty fucking lake. Well, like pond, pond scum? You call my eyeballs pond scum? That was one of the, I, I can remember a lot of fucking mean things girls have fucking said over the years or like fucked up things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, girls can cut to the, to your like. Girls can know how to cut to the most insecure part. Of oh, they your, know. Oh my God, dude, they know. Dude, I, I, the, 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 not the last girlfriend, but the one that you know, the one that's married to Tommy Lee. She used to fight <laughs> so evil. Just yeah. nothing was off. I would like, I would, I wouldn't say anything. I'd argue about what the problem was. Whatever we're arguing about, right. that's where we're going. And she would just, it would be. Everything. What was on. the deepest cut? What hurt I the mean, most? Like what? The never gonna make it. She say that a lot, man. That's a that's a tough thing for a girlfriend to say to yeah. somebody. And then also one time, like I, she, she said, would like, you say that back? Would you go? You're never gonna fucking make it. No, because I thought she was. Oh I, my I could god, tell she, that's I so she was mean that she would say that knowing you, know, you wouldn't she, say it. Emil Hirsch doesn't think you're gonna make. It. I'm like fucking speed racer. Wow, speed racer. He doesn't think I'm gonna make it. <laughs> but no, but I remember one time she, uh, she, she. Said I had a small dick, and I was like, it was like, it's because we were naked fighting. But I, I think I was getting out of the shower, and she was getting ready. And it was like, dude, it's like post shower. Yeah, like it's it's it needs. You to got grow a real a regular bit. dick, dude. It's, it's, it's dude. It's there's a, a Reddit thread all about your regular dick. <laughs> Saying a guy has a the only guy. Hey, you know who has a small dick? The guy that openly talks about his super small dick. Yeah, most guys have regular dicks. Regular dick. Like Bobby Lee talks about how small his dick is his because dick is very he, small. Well, but that's it's his it's bit. It's very very small. It's it's you know what's so funny is when it's full when he has a boner. I've seen him with a boner. It's not. You've seen him with a boner? Well, before I suck it, but no, I, <laughs> no, he he he's. It's fine. It's not as sad as it is when it's when it's. He's a grower for sure. I mean, he he, he has to be. It doesn't grow into much, but it still does grow. So yeah. he's got he's got a little bit of a. It's a dick. It's still a. It still works. Kalila likes him. I don't I mean, fucking you're 100% know. You're hundred percent right, yeah. dude. It's, it's still a dick. It's still a dick. Small dick feels is just as. That's good. right, guys out there. If you got a small dick, tell the girl go. Hey, bitch. It's still a dick. All right. Either ride it or leave me the fuck alone. Saying a guy has a small dick is such a cheap shot. Yeah. Cheap shot. Cheap shot as fuck. All right. Uh, the Fugees never recorded again after this song. Yeah. They did a few reunion shows, and in 2007, Proz st- stated, Before I work with Lauren Hill again, you will have a better chance of seeing Osama Bin Laden and George W. Bush in a Starbucks having a latte discussing foreign policies before there will ever be a Fugees reunion. Then Wyclef, in his book, is quoted saying, we should have never done the reunion shows that we did in 2004 until Lauren gets psychiatric help. Yeah, dude, it's pretty... It's that we're never going to see them back together. Well, she's deep. I he- I've heard she's, she's, she's tough. I think she was at the Hollywood Bowl last year. She with, did something with Dave. With Dave. With Dave and yeah. John Mayer. Yeah, but and, I it's not Lauren Hill that, like I keep saying, it's not Lauren Hill that we had seen before. I heard it it's, was, a, I heard it was really tough. She does remixes of the songs, so they're not really the songs. Like we just want her to play, just yeah. just play lost ones the right way. Nobody that's wants to all hear. I want. Yeah, so, I think that's sad. So, have you ever tried to rekindle a relationship too early? Um, no, actually, no, really. Once it's once it's done, once things are done, they're usually done. I mean, if whether it's you know like platonic or not i think it's just when it's over it's over for me that's kind of how it goes not no it's not like it's the it's not like negative like fuck you forever but 
I think it's just kind of like when it's when it's done, I'm done type of shit. You know, yeah. you got to move forward. Do you go back? Do you go back to the well? I there was a girl that I dated, uh, the last girl, the one that was depressed too. I still have so much love for. Like yeah. we just, you know, I was with her because like it was like I said, she was depressed, I was depressed. Two negatives make a positive. You totally. Know? And 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 we had broken up, and then because she did something really shady. Uh, mm. She was going to cheat cheat on me. We were kind of already broken up, but she was going to fuck somebody I knew. And I, Someone like, you I know stu- is tough. Just I go stumbled, fuck a stranger. I stumbled. Yes, I stumbled upon it because I was looking at her iPad and I swiped a certain way. And then this text message, like the text messages popped up and it was literally like, I'm going to suck you. I mean, I was just like, what the fuck? You know, we hadn't really officially gotten back together. Right. We were still like just, you know, she was hanging out. But still, when I saw that, and I ended it, and that should have been the sign. And then uh, maybe like two weeks later, we we started hanging out again. And then it was just literally because I didn't want to leave my apartment. The TV show had just wrapped. I was there was success. I had money, but I didn't want to go out and see people. I just wanted to be in this apartment with the wow. dog. Yeah. And so we stayed together for like almost another year. Damn. And and then finally, it, but it was like the whole time I was like, I don't. This is not what I want. And then I started going halfway into that year. I started going through that change, right? Where I was like, I started going out and doing spots again. And then finally, one night it came to a head where she was just, I'm trying to do work. She was on the couch. I was like, dude, you gotta leave. I was like, I, I just need to get my. Hey life man, back. get out, get out of my life. I didn't say it in that complete way, but that's close. But that is close. Um, so that concludes the album. But before you get out of here, do you have any? Final thoughts mm-hmm. on this record. My final thoughts are this was the greatest era of hip hop in my personal and stupid and uninformed opinion. I don't think we'll ever have this ever again. I don't think we'll ever have this kind of message in the there was there was a there was a method to the madness and there was a method within all of it. And I think there was like I, I wish I, I wish we had that again in hip hop. Do you hip-hop. think this is lightning, lightning in a bottle? One hundred percent. I don't think you'll ever get anything like this ever again. Both, both in the genre of hip hop and both in the idea of like these two, you know, these two rappers who are unbelievably different, and then this one female, also rapper who is a, a super shining light, a superstar, a megastar, a genius, a genius. I mean, yeah. she's a fucking genius. So. I don't think you'll. I don't think you'll get a group like that again. I don't think there's a lot of groups anymore. A lot of solo artists. That's what's up. Most groups don't really. Hip hop is a solo artist game. You know. I mean, they support each other, clicks and crews and all that shit. But it's uh, groups. Groups went away a long time ago. I can't. Can you name a fucking? I mean, Migos. It, but they all sound the same. They all sound the same. It's, yeah. it's not. This was Migos. This was you know. This was hip hop. This was soul. Yeah. This was pop. Yeah. This was. This was reggae. This was kind of like it. it just it, it. It was. It was a. Um, it was just a sign of the time. It was like perf- perfect timing. Sometimes things are just perfect timing. This album was perfect timing, and I truly mean it. It was, to me, the best best era of hip-hop. You know what I mean? When the groups kind of died. The groups the groups all died. De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, those groups, they're still, I'm not saying they're gone forever, but like that idea of like dope rappers coming together, it's just, it's gone. It's, just, it's, not, it's not around anymore, and you know, what are you going to do? It is what it is. It's a solo man's game. So on to the next one. On to the next one. Thank you, brother. Thank you, dude. Yeah. 
Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who correlate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in together, of course. We get the up and on their horse. Kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in the state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with Pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not. I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again hooligan, only to be king again. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you one real. For all things Andrew Santino, go to his website, andrewsantino.com. If you're finding him on social media, at Cheeto Santino on all the social, And make sure you guys subscribe and listen to his podcast, Whiskey Ginger, on your favorite platform. It's hysterical. He is great. Follow along with him on his journey through his fucking life because it's an interesting one. I'll also be posting his mixtape track listing link on our website. And for all things 500, guys, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. And make sure you follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. We got a few dates coming up. Here we go. June 13th, Shimmy Shimmy at the Comedy Store. One at 8 o'clock, one at 10.30. June 17th. The final goddamn comedy jam at the Lyric Theater. That was the place that it started. We're doing one there before they close the doors. Dane Cook's on it. Chris Red from SNL. John Renitsky, my friend Justine Marino, and a bunch of special guests. It's going to be a wild show. And June 20th through the 22nd, Skank Fest in Brooklyn. It's one of the best comedy festivals out there. Make sure you go to it, guys. Please subscribe on your favorite platform to the 500, whichever way you listen to podcasts, Spotify, anything. Subscribe. And if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Help me with my review. Dude, that's what I want. Leave a fucking review. Follow my writer, Morty, at DJ Morty Coyle, and check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing songs together at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now. We just listened to the Fugees from 1996. Now, here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album. And they're a big one because I didn't have a lot of time and nobody sent in shit. From L.A., we have The Internet with their song, Girl. And if you are in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Paul Butterfield Blues Band Week with their 1965 self-titled debut album. So y'all got some homework to do. Stay fleecy, y'all. Rapture of laughter
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Next Chapter Podcasts.